0: Well, I recommend that you go to Aloe Recovery. It is a beautiful facility located in sunny Southern California. It was created by our friend Bob Forrest, his friend Evan Haynes, and their buddy Bob. And this place has everything. There also might have been a guy named Jared who's associated with this that I never mentioned. I think Jared plays a big part. So go, Jared. Aloe is a place that treats addicts and alcoholics with respect. It offers crazy amenities, including sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing. But that's not the reason that aloe is good. Aloe is good because they care about taking care of addicts. They make sure that an addict who is in crisis has a detox that is comforting, and that's really important if you're coming off of heroin or benzos or alcohol. A comforting detox is the best. They also have a staff with hundreds of years of experience, and they treat co-occurring disorders, including severe mental illness. If you are fucked and you are willing to go to Southern California to get better, please consider aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Healing Appalachia. Appalachia, the home of banjos, forested mountains, and the moonshining tradition. But it's also ground zero for the opioid epidemic. Wherever you're listening to this in the Dopey Nation, you should know that there are a lot of addicts just like you in Appalachia. And while there are strong communities of recovery throughout the region, addicts die every day. Overdose deaths are 65% more common in Appalachia than elsewhere, and the death rate is particularly high among those between the ages of 25 and 44. Healing Appalachia will work to make it easier for those seeking freedom from addiction and for those looking to find a way out. The mission of Healing Appalachia, presented by Hope in the Hills, is to organize an incredible day of entertainment with music, recovery speakers, and delicious food. With your help, we will raise funds for organizations that support recovery across the Appalachian region. On September 28th, the second annual Healing Appalachia Concert will be held in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Headlining the event will be Tyler Childers, a storytelling singer-songwriter who just released his new album at number one on the country charts, along with Brian Fallon of Gaslight Anthem, the Gibson Brothers, Arlo McKinley and the Lonesome Sound, and Sonora May. Perhaps, though, most exciting for the Dopey Nation, and I really think this is true, it is the chance to see me, Dave, make my debut emceeing the entire event. It will be crazy. If you want to get away for some great music while supporting a worthy and extremely dopey cause, come to Healing Appalachia on September 28th. All-day tickets are only $35 before the show and $50 at the door. If you can't make it to beautiful West Virginia for the event, Please consider donating to support Healing Appalachia's mission. Details are at HealingAppalachia.org, Healing Appalachia on Facebook, and at Healing Appalachia on Instagram. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you. In the Dopey Nation, via the power and the passion of the Dopey Patreon, go to www.com no, www.com. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, and you give a couple bucks. Help keep the show happy, joyous, and free. Give money. It's great. If you guys want hats and you want stickers, you Venmo me. If you want the high fashion of the Dopey universe, go to www.dopypodcast.com DopeyCon is coming up we need stories for dopey but we also need stories for the show so please send in your most fucked up and funny drug stories to w no not there you send it to dopey at gmail.com and that was harold with the cool dopey music find him at health collective 666 on instagram enough ads here is the show Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and I'm Dave, and I am in Manhattan in my father's apartment, and we have a very special guest. His name is Bill Blaber. I I was sure his name was Bill Blaber, but it's not. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. You got it right. A lot of people don't get it right. I had it wrong. I had it wrong, and and until Let's do some full disclosure. I met Bill uh, actually through Chris, but only through emails where I tried to... Bill works at
1: Mountainside, where Chris and I went to treatment, where Con is happening. He, You are a sober coach. I am. I'm a senior recovery coach at Mountainside Treatment Center here in New York City. Um, and our treatment center is up in Canaan, Connecticut. But I work with a lot of clients who get out of treatment and come back to New York and want to make recovery coaching part of their aftercare plan. I love it. Love what I do. When did you start... Uh recovery coaching i've been in the addiction recovery industry for five plus years a little under six years and i started working with mountainside almost three years ago next month will be three years october 25th
0: you've got a real uh, cruise director kind of tone
1: when you when, when i'm not when you're not talking about madonna's world tour you're, you're, you're like the <laughs> ultimate cruise director right i just mentioned that tonight is a big night madonna's Brand new world tour. X opens at BAM in Brooklyn. And uh, Oh
0: shit, it's in Brooklyn?
1: It's in Brooklyn. Are you going? I'm going on September 25th, October 1st, and October 7th. Did you ever hear the story about when I met Madonna? Stop, Dave, I mean, my life is like six degrees of separation from Madonna. I just spoke to somebody last week who told me, oh, let me tell you about the time I went to the movies with Madonna. Shut up. When did they go to the movies with Madonna? About a year ago. And I said, what movie did you see? And he couldn't remember. So I said, you're lying. He said, no, no, no. He goes, I don't remember because I didn't watch the movie. I sat there the whole time looking at her. Amazing. How does he know Madonna to go to the movies with her? Uh, he's in the arts and he knows a dancer who knows a dancer who dances with Madonna. But I mean, I could give you countless examples from my life of people who have met Madonna, spent time with Madonna. Um, the director of our recovery coaching program in New York, Jason, um, danced with Madonna Where? <laughs> years ago, years ago at a party before, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about his past, but you know, way before he worked for mountainside and um, he loves to throw that in my face that he danced with Madonna. I, like, a Christmas party
0: Well do you want to hear the story Of when I met okay, Madonna yeah
1: Lay it on me Okay
0: The year was 1987 Oh my god I was a 7th grader On the Upper East Side of Manhattan Okay Just to set the scene It was 7th grade It was the fall Madonna Was shooting Who's that girl oh, yeah. On the Upper East Side I was a very fashionable Young Young Man Young boy <laughs> And I would wear Converse All-Stars But because I was so lazy, I wouldn't tie the sneakers. And in fact, the laces would undo all the way. So I'd basically have like undone shoes with the laces hanging out. In my school, it was a very progressive kind of fancy pants school. And when you start seventh grade, like throughout your time in the school, you get free periods. But when you start the seventh grade, Monday morning, first period is free for whatever reason. So... They're shooting Who's That Girl down the street on 94th Street between Madison and 5th Avenue, and I had nothing to do, and I don't know why I was alone, but I walked over there alone to watch them shoot a scene, and and I'm just sitting there, and, uh, and she gets out of the cab, and she goes, hey. <laughs> I went, hey. And she goes, she goes your shoe's untied. <laughs> and I said, I, said, I know. I said, it's a choice. So Madonna actually spoke to you. Yeah. And then she said, you cut school to see me?
1: <laughs> and I said, no, actually, it's a free period. And that was, that was it. Oh, that's funny. That was at the apex, like when she was shooting Who's That Girl? Um, she was like, yeah, I mean, she was already huge, but that was on the rise. And then right after Who's That Girl, she exploded. Oh, yeah. But can you believe that, that me and Madonna had that tete-a-tete? I can't even tell you like I'm sitting here very Are, envious. Yes. I have me- this dream. No, I don't have this dream. I really believe in my heart of hearts that I will one day have dinner with Madonna. I believe it. And I don't know where it's going to happen. I just have this innate feeling that, like I said, she's circling me through all these people in my life, the six degrees of separation. I've actually been in the room with Madonna. I used to study uh, Kabbalah when I was first getting sober over on the East Side. I, believe, I think it's pronounced Kabbalah. No, that's the way the Americans pronounce it, but it's Kabbalah. Who that's says Kabbalah? The Kabbalists. <laughs> so, no, it's like. Where the do they say way. Kabbalah? Like when you're at the Kabbalah Center, they say Kabbalah. Kabbalah. kabbalah
0: I wonder I wonder if there's like a I just can see shoemakers like a cobbler saying well not only am I a cobbler but I also practice Kabbalah, kabbalah. <laughs> after I'm done cobbling I Kabbalah
1: so so you were kabbalahing with Madonna I was kabbalahing with Madonna I was sitting in well, break it down Talk. Was, uh, so I went I was, I was going there regularly and I think it's Tuesday nights they where have like, do you know what the Zohar is I have some some knowledge okay, of the so Zohar. This, like, I am a Talmudic scholar, right, don't you well, you know, I, you know um, the, it's like this ancient... I actually don't know, so tell me, please. It's like a series of, I don't know, like a series of books. It's like the world encyclopedia, like there's 20 volumes of it or something, and it's this book of illuminations and light, and it has all this power. The Zohar. The Zohar. and it's some Jewish mystic, mysticism Exactly. Book. Okay. And so every Tuesday night, there was like a Zohar class. And she was, you know, an active student of Kabbalah. So you were in this... Kabbalah class. With I Madonna. was in a so while I walked in, I didn't know she was going to be there, and I'm sitting in like the second row toward the front with my friend. And all of a sudden, my cell phone buzzes. Oh no! And so like this is a you know this is sort of like a this is a spirituality class. So you're not supposed to have a buzzing, you're not cell, to have a buzzing cell phone in Kabbalah class. So like I l- pulled out my phone and I you know I did this like you know I held it down by my leg and it said and it was from my friend who was sitting right next to me and it said she's here. And I was like, she's here. And so I look at him, and he went like this. Did you know Madonna might be there? No idea. Okay. No idea. And he, like, took his head, and he, like, you know, kinked it off to, like, (laughs) uh, to the (laughs) right-hand side. And he's like, look, look. And I turn my head, and remember, I'm in the second row of this class with this big rabbi up front teaching, you know. Is it a rabbi? Yeah, he's a rabbi. Okay. and Does he say Kabbalah or Kabbalah? He says Kabbalah. Okay. Um, It would be so annoying. With an accent.
0: If I saw Madonna do an interview, and she says... I study Kabbalah. She doesn't even talk like the way she used to No, like, no.
1: You got your shoes
0: on top. She sounded like <laughs> Cindy Lauper or something. Right, exactly. And now
1: she's like She's had st- elocution lessons. I study Kabbalah. Right. right. Anyway. She um so I look, you know, I crank my neck all the way around, which was, you know, I was trying to do it very subtly so that, you know, no one would notice. And there she is, back row, looking amazing, like Completely done up, these big, beautiful, like horn-rimmed glasses on her hair, done makeup done, and on either side of her were these huge guys dressed in all black, which were obviously obviously security, but not I, not your regular Kabbalah students. No, student. these big, big, big guys. Do you think they were Talmudic scholars also? I mean, I don't know. No, I don't think so. But they they were very intimidating, and they were there, so there was no chance anyone was going to go up and say, "Hey, Madonna, you know what did you think?" Um, and You know, I didn't hear one more word the rest of that night, you know, that they were teaching. I just, I kept trying to crank my neck. At the end of it, though, I did stand up immediately and turned around so that I could stare at her. And she stayed in her seat, so she didn't even get up and try and leave the room as everyone else was leaving. Like, she sat there as people were leaving the room. And it's not like a 12-step meeting where you, you, you can disclose this kind of stuff in a Kabbalah meeting. You know, that's a really good question. You know, Kabbalah really helped me in my early recovery. But no, it's it's not like that. She, you know, she, when she's actively involved, from what I understand, she's at that center. I think it's on like East Forty. What do they, Street. do they teach you how to like levitate or disappear? Or... No, I mean, I just, all I know is that this time around when I tried to get sober back in 2009... It was like a light switch went on when I heard about Kabbalah. And now I'm going to laugh every time I say Kabbalah. But um, it just all made sense. Like this mysticism in the way well, they. Well, give us a little things. piece. Give us a smidge. Oh, it's been years. I mean, A smidge. A smidge. Well, they, I mean, this is, let me describe it this way. Like, so there's, you know, there's the Bible, uh-huh. and there are all these stories in the Bible. Uh-huh. And there's like the Adam and Eve story, there's the Moses story. And Kabbalah has a way of taking those stories and reinterpreting them in a way that makes sense so they're parables or they're metaphors or they're ways to describe what's really going on so that you don't take them literally. It somehow contemporizes biblical stories. I guess, I don't know if contemporizes the word, but it really... It reframes them so you can really relate to them. It teaches you the lesson um, and the spiritual principle behind like what the Adam and Eve story is really about. Like you know, I could have told you this years ago while I was studying it, and I really can't recall right now, but it just was like you took a light switch and you turned it on and everything made sense for me. Amazing. I think a lot of that is because you know, my, you know, my primary drug of choice was crystal meth. And my crystal meth use was very, very... I, I describe it as being very spiritual. Um, I was on a different level, let me tell you. I was on a totally different level for years when I was using. So when I started to get some clarity, this Jewish mysticism really... It opened up my eyes and it made me feel less crazy. And you're not Jewish. Blaber is not a Jewish name. No, I say I'm like Jew-ish. That's the way, you know, like you know, sort of Jewish. I dated a lot of great Jewish guys, but no, I'm not Jewish. I grew up Catholic on Long Island. Nice, yeah. which is that's pretty close to Jewish. Though. Yeah, pretty. I mean, anything on Long Island
0: could be totally like right. Seen as, or at least uh, allowed to be sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like when somebody's allowed to be, honorary. Honorary. Okay. On, you can be honorary Jewish by being a Catholic on Long Island. You could do the accent, I'm sure. Yeah, my mother wouldn't agree, but yes. That's funny. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Floral Park, are there a lot of Jews in Floral Park?
1: Not at all. No, I mean, Floral Park is, today is pretty much the same it was when I was growing up. It's um, it's a great town. Um, their their uh, slogan is, it's a great place to live. Um, it was because there's no Jews, because there's no Jews or you know, or black people. My and town's like that too. My really? town is the white. Where did you grow up? What town? Well, I grew up here in this apartment. Oh, you grew up in the city, okay. but I live in
0: Saville. Right. And Saville is I have so family
1: in Saville. Well, they're they're not there anymore. But my whole life, I had family there.
0: My favorite joke about Saville is the town is so white. The Seven Eleven doesn't even sell dark chocolate. <laughs> anyway, though, um, Crystal Meth, fucking a Madonna. Yeah. What are we doing here?
1: I um. I fucking you, my friends would tell you every time you sit down with Bill Madonna always comes up. So I'm so proud that actually I've been, I've kept that going along with this interview.
0: Well, I gave me a real opportunity to tell my meeting Madonna story, which I've always wanted to do. <laughs> you know. ever told that story? I don't know. I feel like on I Dopey, I feel like Dopey. I probably wanted to impress okay. Chris with it. But now I like that you told this very spiritual mystical place. I also like I've told this story a million times, but I just want to mention it to you, that there's a guy in B&H who does sound. I believe his name is Yudi, and he is a Kabbalan, or what's, how do we say it again? Kabbalah. A Kabbalah scholar, and he's very interested in sound because the Kabbalah teaches us that all
1: life is created with a vibration. Right, right. You send these vibrations out into the universe, and they come back to you. All right,
0: that's it. Enough of this. Okay. Now you are a drug addict, a crystal meth addict in long term recovery.
1: Yep, uh, ten years this past June. Nice. Yeah. And Bill uh,
0: again works in Mountainside and they're doing DopeyCon and blah blah blah. Blah blah <zwar> <sempre> blah, right. blah 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 blah. And um, fucking he had me on Mountainside's first uh, podcast and interviewed me so beautifully that
1: I was like, I gotta get Bill on Dopey. Yeah, it was great. It was the first time. I was really nervous. We, uh, it was the first time I've ever sat down, just like you and I are sitting down right now. There's no rehearsal. You sit down and you prepare, but we sat down with you, me and Jessica, who's our alumni manager. She works up in Canaan at our treatment center. And we had- here hear Jessica? He's mentioning you. Yeah. Yeah. I got to get Jessica in there. She's amazing. She is amazing. Um, and yeah, we did this podcast and I felt like it really went well. I don't know if you had this experience at the beginning, but when we were done- I went blank. I couldn't remember anything that we had talked about because I tried to stay really engaged in the conversation. That's so good. So I wasn't like rehearsing, you know, I wasn't repeating lines that we had rehearsed. I was like really sitting there engaged. And so um, when, I, when they finally released it, I was like, oh, we talked about that. We talked about that. I was really upset that they cut a lot of the RuPaul stuff out. They did? Yeah, not all of it, but a little bit. Oh, you maybe, got so excited about RuPaul, too. It actually, it came up because you had just had Alaska on your podcast. But we had spoken a lot more. So if anybody's listening, well, hopefully people are listening. We, spoke, we had a nice conversation about RuPaul, but a lot of it got cut. I think RuPaul is destined to come on Dopey. Madonna, probably not. RuPaul would be amazing on Dopey.
0: I, I just knew that... Um, I think we had great chemistry uh, when
1: I was there and I don't remember fucking anything. I never do. Does that happen to you? Do you blank out like after you do an episode because you're so focused on what's going on and I don't moment?
0: know. I don't know if it's because I'm so <laughs> focused but that was what Chris would always say at the end of every episode. He'd say, I have no idea what right. we just talked about um, and I don't know, if, I know that he wasn't particularly focused. I think it's more like that's the best way to look at it, like, that you were so focused. But it's really that I think you lose yourself in the conversation. Right. And um, and then little bits pop into your head. You know what I mean? Like, when I interview somebody, I have a plan. You know what I mean? I have bullet points, like I have I want to talk about this, this, this and this, especially because I don't know them and I don't know that there's going to be chemistry. I don't know what it's going to be. So when I think about what we did talk about, I was like, "Okay, we did talk about this, this, this and this." Or if I have somebody on, I usually have a plan. I actually with you, I had a little bit of a plan, but but obviously not much because here we are. Right. Um, but my plan was because like I've I've very much enjoyed all this Madonna talk, but my plan was for you to tell a dopey story in the beginning. So would you would you grace us with a dopey story?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. You know, when uh, when I found out I was coming on, I thought about what am I going to tell. I I told you on the phone yesterday when we were talking. I have stories that start at G and go up to triple X, and you know if you and I were sitting at Starbucks. There are stories I would definitely tell you without hesitation, but there are stories that I think might even make you nervous. I mean, we're sitting in your dad's kitchen. Um, but my dad was a, was a gay square dancing guy. He, <laughs> he like, I don't think I don't think you realize what my dad's like. No, he's not here, is he?
0: And when I say gay, I mean homosexual square dancing. Like, okay. he's in a group of homosexual square dancers. Not like it's so gay. It's a big thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was part of it. Times squares. Have you, ever, have you ever done the Times Square? I haven't. That no. was his thing. No. Um, but I thought about I I talked about my dad being in this gay square dancing thing and and the audience the Dopey Nation thought I was being homophobic like putting down the square dancing as gay when in actuality it's It's a homosexual square yeah Yeah.
1: I think that's very funny anyway please Um, so I thought about what I'm going to talk about like the first thing that came across my mind was you know I don't sit around and think about these stories anymore Um, not because I don't dwell on I don't want to dwell on them or that they, you know, that they're upsetting or anything. It's just, you know, I've moved on from these stories. Also, you have to remember when I was high on crystal meth, I didn't remember an awful lot of what happened days later when I came down. And the stories that resonate with me, that I actually like, you know, feel in my heart that affect me emotionally today, are stories that you would probably think are pretty boring, but because they're usually, I would have a, an, you know, a realization or. I would have like this awakening in the moment. So those stories would be the stories that I think about that still you know, serve me today. But the one story that comes to mind that I think I should tell you is um, I, was, I was living in New Jersey, in um, Edison, New Jersey. Okay. And um, newly single because my partner left me and he had lots of reasons to leave me. And I was very late to the game when it came to drugs. And alcohol. You know, I grew up on Long Island, um, Catholic, great family, great parents. Um, so my drug use really started in my thirties. So when I started, I went all out. And um, when someone asked me, um, "Do you want to do crystal meth?" The way they said it is, I don't know if it's like this, you know, in the heterosexual world, but they're like, "Do you want to party?" And so I literally innocently said, yeah, sure, I'm newly single. I'll party. I love to party. I, you know, and I really, that's how, what a geek I was. I thought, oh, yeah, sure, I'll party. Anyway, I show up at the party, and the party included you know, snorting crystal meth. So that you know, quickly led to, well, not so quickly, but it led to me smoking crystal meth and then eventually like, injecting crystal meth. And once that happens, I was off to the races. You know, Once you inject crystal meth, um, you would, you'd never want to smoke it or snort it. And so I was- I used to shoot crystal meth.
0: Did you really? In Los Angeles. I didn't know that. I I had come back from rehab in Florida, and uh, I moved in with um, two friends of mine who were stoners, uh, and I had planned on smoking weed, but what I didn't know was that one of my friends had gotten addicted to crystal meth like that month. So he came back just smoking meth, and, uh, and I basically was like, I bet you if I start smoking meth, it'll give me a good excuse to do heroin again. Wow. And, um, and I got into, um, into smoking it, and then I got into speedballing with crystal meth and dope. And then if I didn't have dope, I also just, everyone talked about shooting meth, so I just would do it. But it was like, I'm just so up. Naturally, it
1: was not, it, didn't, right. it wasn't conducive right. to my brain. I've also learned that the meth out west is very different than the meth out east. Um, I'm not sure if that's still the case. They call it crank out there a lot, and it's just it does have a different effect. Because I, you know, I was lucky enough to try the the meth from the West Coast sometimes, and then the meth on the East Coast, and I much prefer the meth on the East Coast. I never did meth on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you probably hit the West Coast meth. Did um, and I don't know if like it, it did this to you, but it basically I felt like Superman. I could do anything in the world, no inhibitions. Um, loved everybody. Could walk up to anybody and start any a conversation with anybody. And so let's, let me move on to the story. So there are all these parties, right? Um, where all these, you know, things go on at these parties and what kind of things, you know, I saw, I've seen things that I would never want to see again. And you're in you know, you're in, you're either in a club or you're in somebody's apartment here in the city. And, you know, there's a lot of naked people. <laughs> there's a lot of people um, standing around doing things that you've like only heard about. Like, like
0: what? What kind of
1: things? Well, you know, like they're they, it's are like these sex parties and these like, but they're not just like sex parties. They're crazy sex parties, and there's porn on in the background. And there's all... the Zoom room things. What's a Zoom room? Well, on the gayest episode of
0: Dopey, which was which I listened to, or then maybe it was on even gayer than the gayest episode okay. of Dopey. The guy talks about shooting meth. In these sex parties, and with the, the porn on the background, but not only porn, there's interactive video where you're going from oh, yes. sex room to sex room yeah. to sex room like, in the room like camera
1: stuff, yeah yeah. Yeah, I never. I just. I think has never zoom. been on camera. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, mom and dad will be happy to hear that. Never been on camera. Um, they did have to pick me up once on the street when I was high out of my mind. That was early on. It was awful. awful. Okay,
0: so you're in this. You're in the fucking
1: party. So everybody's party, fucking and, so, uh, and sucking, so, shooting and smoking. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And so I leave the party. Okay, because I got. No, let to- me ask you though.
0: Are there like? Is it like? Is it like a, a typical kind of gay thing that's in your imagination? Like everybody's kind of got like leather speedos Very, and fucking be, shackles and fake
1: mustaches and stuff. You sounds like you've experienced with this. That's exactly what it's okay. like. Yeah, I mean, exactly what you're picturing in your head is it's exactly like what it's like. Okay. Um, some, some nights more than others, but yes, definitely. So I left, right, because I got to a point where I go, I go out of my mind, and I think everyone's out to get me. And so to take care of myself and be safe, I leave. But the problem is when I leave, I'm out on the street, right? And I'm out on the street, like, dressed really inappropriately for the time of day. What were you wearing, like a leather speedo? I I was like wearing like a t- So it was like eight o'clock and nine o'clock in the morning. Uh-huh. People were going to work. Uh-huh. I'm in like a tank top and these like short shorts because it was like, it was warm out. So it was the spring or the summer. I had these boots on and, you know, wired wired out of my mind so like I must have owned 20 pairs of sunglasses I'm not kidding you back in the heyday because I would always have sunglasses on because A I didn't want to make eye contact with you but B the the light I just couldn't keep my eyes open in the light from doing all the meth so I'm walking down the street and it was um, because your pupils get big, right? They get very big and very sensitive to light, which is why if you go to a a crystal meth party, all the the drapes and the curtains are drawn. Um, It adds to the whole mystique, you know, the darkness. So I'm walking down 57th Street. Do you know that building on the corner of 57th Street right next to what used to be Mount Sinai Roosevelt? It's on the northeast corner. It's a huge apartment building. So I'm in that building and I come out and I walk down 57th Street toward um, Broadway. And... This is back in the days. I'm talking about in the early 2000s. Like this is around 2002, 2003. Okay, and AOL was a big thing. So that's where I always got my. You know, I always made my connections via AOL. Like, you know, you've got mail, and I still have an AOL email account today. But so I would get in the chat rooms, and I would make my connections in the chat rooms, and then meet up with those people. So I was really aware that you I was, were like an internet. Uh, meth trailblazer, yeah, gay out. internet, AOL, meth trailblazer. It's all I did was like live on the internet, live on the internet, show up at the guys. But it place. was like pre pre internet, but still connecting through the internet. The internet was around, but like there weren't. You were really, you were really like connecting with people through like um, Comcast and AOL, like these. We'll say services. it's the early
0: days of, of this phenomenon. Days, so yeah.
1: I love that. And here's an interesting thing that I thought about just walking over here today. When I was out there using crystal meth in 2002-2003 intravenously no one talked about it. So I would go to these parties, here this is important, I would go to these parties and I'd want to use with needles and I was like shunned from the like, the gay crystal meth community because they weren't using needles, they were smoking it. But I, you know, I was introduced to it by somebody and once, like I said, once you do it that way, you don't want to go back. So I was in a very small minority of people who were shooting up crystal meth in the early 2000s. Right. Today, it's really changed and it's really the way most of these guys that I meet today in recovery um, did, it. did it. But back then, so this is significant, like back then it was, a, it was a big deal. So I was really out of my mind, walking down 57th Street towards Broadway, keeping in mind that I find all my drugs and my connections on AOL. So this is they were building Time Warner it was called AOL Time Warner Center at Columbus Circle do you remember that as they were building that it was that old convention center you know and it was run down it hadn't been used for years right across from the Trump building Right, yes. right. I'm not even. I don't think the Trump building was there yet, was it? I think the Trump building came after. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so I know what you're talking about. That. It's like a mall now, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the Time Warner Center, which what is I think Time Warner Center right now, was being built. So it was a huge construction project. So I'm walking and I'm walking and I look over and I'm, I don't know why I knew, but I knew it was the AOL Time Warner Center. So something clicked in my mind that while well, I get my drugs on AOL. So, this building, they know. This, they know. Yeah. And whoever runs AOL is responsible for me shooting up crystal meth and my life being ruined because things were falling apart. I wasn't happy. And I was like, I need to get to that guy. Whoever runs AOL. What were you gonna to do to him though? So I looked. So I looked at the building. I'm like, how do I? So where does the owner of a company work on the top floor? Sure. Now the top floor hadn't even been built yet. Right. So in my mind, I was like, I just have to get as high as possible, like high in the building, and you'll find this, get this to motherfucker. The top, right. Yes. I'll find this motherfucker. Yes. And I'm gonna tell him that you're ruining my life. Uh-huh. So. I looked across the street and there was a building, like a regular apartment building across the street. And I was like, I'm going to go into that building and I'm going to go onto the roof of that building. So, because you couldn't get, this was a construction site. I couldn't get into the AOL building. You know, it was like a a major construction site. So I walk into, now picture this. This is a really nice apartment building. I walk in in short shorts, uh, uh, you know, wife beater tank top, sunglasses on with like a backpack on my back, Boots on my feet. See, I hear like a, a, like house music playing as you walk, like you have a speaker <laughs> attached to you. Like, <laughs> I didn't belong in this building. Yeah. I, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. And I probably hadn't showered in days. And so I walk in the building, you know, nonchalantly, and I walk to the elevator, and I press um, the elevator, and I get in, and I press the top floor. And so I take the elevator all the way up to the top floor, and I get off. And I'm like okay, how do I get to the roof? So I looked around and there was a staircase and I got to the staircase and I just walked. I had no idea where I was going. So I walked and walked and walked. I finally got to the roof. No one stopped me. No one was around. And so I looked, so they had a beautiful roof. You know, it was all landscaped and manicured. And nobody stopped you. No one stopped me. So this is literally across the street from where they're building the Time Warner Center. So I'm up on the roof and I'm looking straight, straight in front of me was the the construction project. And there are all these constructions construction workers. And so <laughs> I had the idea that I needed to get their attention because they needed to help me find this guy who ran AOL so that I could like give him a piece of my mind. Uh-huh. But I feel like, you know, like that building is still taller than this roof that I'm standing on. So I look around and you know, those water towers sure. on top of these buildings, of course. you know, and this is a very New York thing, right? So there's a beautiful water tower, you know, that, that wooden water tower right there. And so I look at the water tower and there's a ladder. I'm like, okay, so I can, I, I can barely believe this story. We'll I'm on the top of a roof in New York City, and I'm like, well, if I climb that ladder, you'll be I'll closer. Get even this is closer. Like, let's
0: stop for a second. Though. Okay, this is one of the most irrational stories I've ever heard. <laughs> like, how many ir- totally crazy, irrational
1: stories do you have? A lot. Okay, continue. A lot. So I'm. Cl- so I didn't even think twice, Dave. I. <laughs> I'm on the top of a roof and I walk over to the ladder and I think nothing of it. I start climbing, you know, up and it's a, you know, it's a little skinny wire, you know, wire ladder, Uh not easy to climb with my boots and this backpack on my back. And so I climb up and then I get to the top of the ladder and there's a door. And so I hang onto the ladder and I turn around and I see the construction site. And so I start like waving and I start almost sort of like enticing them to like engage with me. And I don't know whether or not How do anybody, you entice them? You know, like um, I, was, I was screaming and like, you know, like wailing my arms. And, okay. you know, it was hard to tell. I mean, it was literally across the street. It wasn't far. You know, it was like just a regular block, a city block. So, you know, you probably could have thrown a ball and it would have hit the, hit the building. right? So inside, so you climb to the top of the ladder and there's a little door and... I was like, okay, so I opened the door and I think that I'm gonna crawl into the water tower. Right. And because it's dark and it's mysterious in there. And, you know, a lot of people say this about their drug use that it was such a dark period in their life. It really <laughs> was a dark period for me. I thought that. Satan and the devil Were running AOL Because it was really like When I was hanging out At these parties There were these Devil worshippers At these parties So I was like Well then that's who runs AOL Someone who's dark And evil like Well oh, yeah
0: that. You were actually Face to face With the most demonic right. Part of drug addiction also right. Because it's a lot of Like crazy meth psychosis right. That involves the devil And the most dark shit In the so world So you get it
1: Right. I, yeah. I do. And you know, you're talking to a, a a guy who grew up really conservatively as a Catholic, so it's and the antithesis. Well, devil really really rules the roost in right. the balances. And and you you know, and I grew up fearing the devil. Exactly, right? So like that's what I was drawn to in my drug use. So I open the door and it's dark. I can't it's, it is pitch black. And I lean in and I couldn't see anything. I had my sunglasses on too, right? So I lean into the water tower and i pass out and my legs are hanging out one end and my fr- it was like right at my waist i'm like hanging on what my was waist. inside water <laughs> but you open the door where are you in i thought there was some like evil mysterious body but what inside. what was inside the door um it's, it's not it, like you opened the door and water came flooding no out no you, you open the door and i guess the water is at a lower level So you see it I can hear it. I can't see it, but it—it—it um, it, it smelled very humid. Like it, it was very muggy in there. <laughs> the word is musty, right? Musty. Okay, yes. it was very musty. Okay, and I—I I pass out. So, looking down at the water in the water yes. tower. so hanging out legs. Like, so, if you were one of the construction guys uh-huh. across the street, yeah. you'll see, see this, this you gay s- dude in short shorts, his ass hanging out of the water tower. you see some guy's tower. ass hanging out of a water tower at like 9 a.m. in the morning. Right. And like with these big black boots on. Yeah, and these very short shorts. Right. So, yeah. what do you think they, they thought? They thought I was trying to kill myself, or that you were dead. Or that I was dead, right? You know, I might right. assume you were dead. That you have drowned. I, you know, I often wondered: Did was anyone watching this happen? Was anyone watching this guy climb up this ladder, open the door to the water tower, and lean in, and then just plop there? So next thing I know, um, and I don't know how long how, how long it you know went by, but next thing I know, I'm being like dragged out of the water tower by the New York City Fire Department, and I'm completely disoriented. No idea like how long I had been passed out, but I still knew that I needed to get to the top of that AOL water tower. And I said to them, You need to help me get up there. You need-. And I was hold like, Hold on, hold on, hold on.
0: You're passed out in the water tower. Right. The fire department comes because the construction workers see
1: you hanging out of the thing. Correct. They wake you up. They wake me up. And they don't arrest you. They do not arrest me. Okay. They were actually very kind. And concerned, I'm sure. Concerned, very friendly. Like, what are you doing with the water? Asking me some questions. I thought I was going to be in trouble or get arrested because I had been arrested so well, many times. It seems times like before. you
0: should you have been arrested. Well, You're not, on a roof in a right. water tower. You know, you obviously it's, it's. I mean, I was at Penn Station the other day. They made me not sit in a certain spot because I was on private property or some shit. I mean, you're in somebody else's water right. tower, and they come, right. you know, off the,
1: somebody else's roof. What do they say? Um, so they, you know, they asked me those, you know, the, you know, what are you doing here? Are you? They were very concerned. Are you okay? What have you been up to? What's your name? Where are you from? And I, I'm thinking firemen, right? So what do firemen have on top of their trucks? ladders. So I said, "You need to get me on I said, "Is your fire truck downstairs?" And they're looking at me like, "There's no fire. We're here to save you." And I was like, "I need to get on your ladder so I can get to the top of the to the top of the AOL Time Warner Center." And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, they're not far off. So here's the best part. They take me down very nicely. We get, we walk down to whatever level it was that I got off on the elevator. Elevator at. We get on the elevator. Go all the way down to the first floor, and then Eyewitness News is outside with cameras. Uh-huh. I can see it to the Eyewitness News van, Channel Seven, ABC. Right. They came for you. They came for me because I was hanging outside of a water tower. Um, you know, no one knew what was going on. And so they I literally had TV cameras in my face and somebody with... Um, Can we know, see this anywhere? You know, I've looked, but I didn't look too hard because yeah. I was mortified. And you know, I don't think... you know they, they go around the city all day long like trying to find news stories and stuff. They don't air everything. I don't think it was ever aired. Nobody ever told you they saw it. No you. one ever told me they saw it. It was a while before I told people it actually happened. Um, but yeah, the, the news truck was out there and there was a lot of commotion. The police down on the street with uh, with the news people, and then the fire people handed me over to the police and then they took me to the local precinct and then what and then I get to, and then I, I started to you know I started to come out of it and I had to come up with a story really quick as to why I was on the water tower. And so I explained to them that I was with friends and they led me up here and they left me behind and I'd been up all night and I was just really tired. And somebody said to me, so you decided to fall asleep in a water tower. And I said, well, I didn't mean to fall asleep. Did you say you were drunk? No, I just said that I was with some people who took advantage of me.
0: Wow, you're yeah. very bright. Yeah. I mean, you really made the best of a terrible yeah. situation. Yeah. If it was me, I would have either pro- I would have been in jail. Somebody else might have been in Bellevue, you know. That that's a situation where you're either going to jail or institutionalized. And the fact that you could talk yourself to just being
1: released, it's, it's I I give you I commend you. you. I think that's great. What I always had working in my favor is I don't look like your typical drug addict Right you know, I was, you know I was clean cut I was always You know I spoke well I was dressed well Like you know I look like you're normal You smell good too He comes For, in He smells very good You smell good Right there you go Thank
0: you Uh huh And um, I'm sure the, the firemen Were like This guy smells great So I don't know If they ever thought Or they could figure out What happened Dude if you had said The devil's in the top Of the they AOL never, tower right. I needed your ladder To get to the top I climbed the water tower To get closer to the devil They would have locked you up, but you were too smart for that.
1: Well, they took me to the precinct, and they put me on a psych hold for 24 hours. They did, okay. They put me on a psych hold for 24 hours. But as soon as I was under the... This is not the first time I've been on a psych hold. And it was like the last thing that I ever wanted to happen, because have you ever been in the psych ward? I haven't. It's boring as fuck. You're just, you're sitting around and you, you, know, you don't really see anybody. I mean, they sit down, they ask you some questions, but pretty, they were able to ascertain pretty quickly that I was probably high out of my mind and that I didn't really have psychotic issues. So I was there for about 24 hours and I had to like denounce whatever I had told them, that people were out there to hurt me, that I was safe, that I was, that I had a place to go. I remember them saying like, where are you from? And I'm like, Edison, New Jersey. That was the other thing too. They're like, how did you get to the top of this building and in a water tower But you live in Edison, New Jersey So I concocted a story Where you know, I met up with some people And they slipped me something um, They drugged me And I didn't think that was going to happen And then they, you know, they were these That's the what tower. you said That's, that's th- what I okay, said Okay, that works Now, you, you're,
0: this story is easily One of the greatest dopey stories We've had for some time <laughs> If not one of the greatest We've ever had But you fucked up my whole plan For the episode Oh no <laughs> But that's okay I can live with it Because you did come with Some serious, serious Amazing dopey Um, So just so the Dopey Nation knows um, And you know it if you read the description of the article One of my fantasy Dopey guests Was Michael Imperioli Who plays Christopher on The Sopranos I do know that And um, I always wanted him to come And uh, reenact the classic relapse scene in The Sopranos And I had heard him on a podcast And he came over to do an interview The thing about it is He didn't get Dopey So I called Bill up to come over to bring some dopey with him, and and you did the job. Thank you. So what we're going to do now is we're going to play a long, not particularly dopey interview with Michael Imperioli, and then we're going to come back with Bill. That sounds good. Does
1: it? Yep I think you've you've destroyed the Michael Imperioli interview With your (laughs) insane amount of dope Listen, I've heard the interview You sent it to me last night And Dave, you do a You know, I told you this a second ago You do a great job It's a really good interview
0: All right, but it's nothing compared to this Fucking short shorts on the fucking (laughs) water tower But here's Michael Imperioli So hello and welcome to Dopey Podcast About drugs, addiction, and dumb shit And as any real dopey fan knows I'm a Sopranos freak And, and Before I even do that, I'm going to introduce my guest, because I'm shocked that he is sitting in my father's apartment. It's Michael Imperioli. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And you don't know this, but when Chris and I started making the show, like... Who's Chris? Chris is my friend who I started the show with. Oh,
2: okay.
0: And, um, And we were such... We were so, like, obviously just drug addicts in recovery, but both of us spent a ton of time on drugs and off drugs watching The Sopranos. So the Sopranos like, became the kind of crux of many episodes, arguments, debates, and um, so it's very cool that you came on. You're actually the third member of the Sopranos world that's been on the show.
2: Who's the other ones?
0: We had uh, Lilo Brancato, who obviously had a serious drug story. Yeah. You know that guy? Of course, yeah. And, uh, and the comedian Modi. You know Modi? No. He played a Hasidic Jew in one of those oh, hotel those episodes. episodes. Yeah, okay. Cool. Uh, he was not great. Um, He was not great. He was not great, Um, but he was funny because he just tore me down a lot, which was funny. Um, I have to tell you, I'm a gigantic fan of yours. Uh, I've I've admired your shit forever. I just read your book, "The Perfume Burned His Eyes." Burned his eyes. I love it. Thank you. It's great. Um, And I've been a fan of yours basically since I've ever seen you. You know, I saw you in "Lean On Me." I saw you in "Fucking uh, the Basketball Diaries." Obviously, "Goodfellas." So we're talking about like just a serious New York pedigree, and um, and I don't think, and this might be me reaching, but I don't think The Sopranos could have been The Sopranos without you. Thank you,
2: I appreciate that.
0: I think um, you know, you being in Goodfellas must have been a crazy trip for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was uh, twenty-two or twenty-three, I think, and I just started being in films for a year. I started acting school at 17, at the same time started trying to get work through the trade papers and going to shitty auditions and off-off-Broadway shitholes, and never got anything, and finally got a play after, like, this is, like, now four or five years down the road, and uh, one of my classmates, we were doing a scene together, she was auditioning an agent, I got a part, so, you know, Goodfellas, to me, for an Italian-American kid who wants to be an actor... At that time, being in Goodfellas was like being in the World Series with the Yankees and, you know, you're, they're bringing you up from, like, the minors, you know? Well, that's really what it is. That's I mean, what it was. We're, we're ta-
0: and we're talking about... It's like your career, it's pretty insane because Goodfellas is arguably the greatest movie of all time. You could make that argument. I could make that argument. Um, And The Sopranos, I would make an argument that that could have been the greatest series of all time. Uh, You also got to work with Spike Lee a ton. And you just, you come across as a really, really classic sort of New York character and it's, uh, it's beautiful, you know, it's
2: great thank you
0: um, another thing which always was so appropriate to me for our show is that you've played so many drug addicts no. and drug dealers um, so I did a, a poll on Twitter last year amongst our fans the Dopey Nation and it was like who do you guys, what's your favorite uh, drug addict character in anything
2: and you won like 90% of the vote, that's Christopher tremendous. Well, that's you, really exciting is it exciting to you? Yeah, I think it's. I think it says a lot. You know, I mean, I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, it's a compliment that people. Um, you know, you're talking about a specific genre of like film and television, and you know, characters, and that's. Uh, you know why I was always attracted to those roles because they're very dramatic. You pe- the stakes are very, very high and not to pardon the pun but the um sure and for an actor the extremes of emotion of physical states of sanity and sanity, those things are pushed to the limit so um you know they were always roles that physically i always kind of looked the part just being like the ages i was and how in new Yorker and came up and kind of you know a little street type edge whatever but um they just the, the the life and death of it is very is juicy for an actor
0: well i think the thing that really you always played well was this sort of ego with self doubt built into it which is kind of the addict condition right. you know the piece of shit at the center of the universe is about to say yeah, that is is what we call an addict and um you know I also, if you trace yourself, I mean, if I trace you back to, like, for example, the Basketball Diaries, you play that kid with cancer who used to get high, right. but now you're gonna die, and you're in this. I mean, it's also like it's very rich ground of actors with fucking what's his face, Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: Yeah, it was one of his early roles. Yeah, uh, Mark Wahlberg and his early role. I think that might have been his first. He was good in that one too. He was good in that one. Yeah, that was a good one. And who who, who uh, was Lorraine Bracco? Yeah, uh, and you, and that was that the first time you worked with her? No, I think Goodfellas was before that. Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't work with her
0: on Goodfellas, but uh, she's in it. Would you see her by the table and eating and stuff, or it doesn't? No, work like I that? only
2: worked two days, and then Goodfellas, and it was those specifically uh, only shot those scenes. Those two days, production was only limited to that. Those scenes. And Goodfellas was really the first big one, right? Yeah. I was, well, a Lean on Me was a big movie, but I had one line which got cut, and it was a bad experience. It was my first job. It was John Albertson, who directed Rocky. And it was, you know, it was overwhelming. I, uh, production was all these high school kids and all these extras in this high school. And, so it was, it was a bad experience. My first time on camera was terrified, and the director had no time for me. And my line, I had, the line was, hey, I'm going to be a star. And it got cut because I was so stiff and bad. Uh, but I'm in the movie, you can see me. Was that like um, a lesson? Yeah. I mean, it was a lesson in, because um, I had never been in front of a camera. Although, by that point, I had been acting for five years, mostly in classroom, with a lot of good actors in my class. Alec Baldwin was in my class at one point, actress Sean Young, Lily Taylor at one point, some, some, a lot of good people, Jump into Amelia, Sharon Angela. Um, so... I mean, I you know felt I had chops as an but I'd never been in front of a camera, which was a completely different experience and terrifying, you know. And I, I didn't really know how to handle it, and but the director didn't help me out. And Marty Scorsese, it was the opposite. He Made me feel like I belonged there and treated me like an actor. When you
0: Everything. when you get, ca- I, I, I had heard a story about it that you thought you were auditioning for the uh, the Tommy character, the Joe Pesci that character. All the
2: guys were reading one of Tommy's scenes, and and then the book, which I everybody I read the book wise guy, right? Wise guy. A lot of those scenes, Tommy's twenty two years old, and right. I knew Joe Pesci. I didn't, you know, so I thought they were casting someone in their twenties, which I was. So I thought I was auditioning for that part. Because they didn't tell you what... They didn't say you're auditioning for this part. They just gave you this piece of material to prepare. Do you think Pesci had been cast? Was it De Niro, Pesci, Rage, You
0: know, it was done. Oh, yeah. It was done. I would imagine. That's yeah. funny. If That's funny if you, if you could have been Tommy and
2: Tommy could have been Spider. There's no way that would could have, have been a mess because would, yeah. I didn't have the experience yet to do so. But in your delusional ego of an actor, you think you're ready to be... The lead in a Scorsese movie Well why not It wasn't Somebody's got to do it Yeah Um, I'm glad it wasn't me then I would have fucked it up
0: When you work with somebody Like Martin Scorsese First of all How do you know to call him Marty Like or is that just You know it You get there Uh, And everyone's like Marty Marty." I don't
2: remember He may have introduced himself that way It was funny because I heard You know I told some people I'm going to audition for Because at first I met The casting director um, Ellen Lewis And I knew Scorsese liked improv. I just knew that from research. So in my audition with the casting person, I did a lot of improvisation. She's like, "This is great. I want to bring you back to meet Marty." And I told people, "I'm like, I'm going to audition for Scorsese." They're like, "Oh, he sits on this really high desk, like a you know, and I'm imagining like this judge in a courtroom, and he won't shake your hand, and he won't say much, and you got to do your stuff and get out of there, right?" So I'm like, oh, my God, this sounds... I walk in the office. What does he do? He walks right, to his, right towards me, sticks out his hand, shakes my hand, says, how are you? You know, he couldn't have been friendlier. It was the complete opposite of what everyone was telling me. Do you think they were just fucking with you? I don't Who knows?
0: Or do you think that he sensed it in you when he... Because you look the part... The second you open
2: your mouth, you're the fucking part. You're the, I mean, you know what I mean? And it's Well, like- not really, because when I got to the set... And like I said, he was, I don't know, he was just very friendly. And I I read Tommy's part. So I'm playing it very much like a wise guy, a tough guy. And he said, great, ha-ha, And he, he laughed. And um, he made a, some obscure film reference that I didn't get, but pretended I did. And uh, the next thing they called and said, you got the part, uh, you're playing Spider, which I didn't, and was like, I don't even remember. And like, that's it? It was because in the book, it's really small, little scene in the book. And I'm like, At first, I was almost disappointed. Then I'm like, just calm down. But when I got to the set and we started rehearsing, there were no lines written. Except, why don't you go fuck yourself, Tommy, which is the last line Spider said. Sure. Which is the second scene. But for that first scene, which we shot first and rehearsed first, there were no lines written. He just said, just uh, bring uh, Ray a drink. You know, bring... He called Joe. him. No, uh, what was Ray's character? Henry. Henry. Bring Henry a drink, because he. Henry. He, we all referred to each other in character, so I brought and 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 then it would just it, we would he would improvise. Where's my drink? And every time it was different. When I first started rehearsing, I played him much more like um, a, a wise ass, a little more of an edge and stuff. And he said, "Michael, you know, I think this guy's a little slow." So I kind of. My impulse was to be stuttering and not sure of himself. Be nervous because these guys are fucking killers. Yeah. And that, so that made, you know, brought out all that vulnerability, made it even more, you know, that much more um, touching, violent. Unnecessary Unfounded Made him more of an innocent Which is why Scorsese Is a genius Because he knows That's what he wants To get out of that scene
0: I remember I was I think that movie came out And I was 16 or 1990 something
2: 1990 came out Yeah I was I was, I was 15
0: 16 I saw it on 23rd street On the east side uh, between,
2: That's where I saw it Is that right? Yeah And I they had I, a cast uh, Not the premiere which I wasn't invited to, but they had a cast and crew screening uh, that we got invited to. It was a
0: big theater there, yeah. and I left there with a buddy of mine who lived on the Upper West Side, and me and him walked all the way from 23rd and 2nd to 99th and West End, and we couldn't shut up about the movie. you know. And it's like That's like a special thing.
2: Yeah, that's like you when know? I saw Raging Bull. I think I was uh, 13 or 14. Me and my buddy went to see it, and we just didn't know what, what it was we saw. We were just like... It's one of those things that really affect you. That was one of those movies that really made me want to be an actor or be in movies.
0: Right, right. I can't even... I mean, like, I never... I, I didn't have the thought of being an actor, like, really ever until I had crashed and burned so many times in my life and I came up as, like, a recovering heroin addict working in a deli and I was like, maybe I can act, which was just a which dumb... deli? Katz's. Oh, you worked in Katz's? I still work at Katz's. It's just a dumb thought that I had because, like... It, whatever it's like I'm not an actor you know what I mean like I wasn't born to be an actor I, it didn't hit me like that one thing we do have in common is that I wanted to be a musician though and I know that you came up playing music in the first place yeah but before we even do that I heard the a backstory about that Goodfellas story um, like what had happened do you, you know like with uh, the, the glasses would you be so oh, kind as to share it with yeah. the Dopey so Nation
2: in, in the second scene which is when spider gets killed um you know i was a young actor and i was very green and they had a stunt double there who, a guy named norm douglas who i who has doubled me since over the years he's a good guy a great stunt man and um i said i want to do this i want to i want to do the scene i want to do the stunt which I, I don't do that anymore what is the stunt there you just stunt was he had to get shot and go kind of propelled backwards slam into the bar like kind of your, with your back and hit the ground, right? So, and I'd never done a stunt, so it's not as, it's, it's not as easy as you think it is. It's, there's a precision to it and you don't want to get hurt, so they pad you up and... But I was young and very enthusiastic and, you know, so I was like, let me do it. So they padded me up and um, squibbed me up with blood packs because I get shot three or four times in the chest. So the first take... I had a glass in my hand that I... Because I, I get shot as I'm walking to the table with a glass in my hand. But the glass was real. It wasn't a breakaway glass. So when I... It was supposed to be a breakaway glass. Well, it should have been, I guess. In retrospect, yes. Yeah, because I'm doing a stunt so anything could happen. So we do the stunt. I go flying back. The gunshots happen. I go flying. The squibs explode, the blood. They make holes in your chest. And, and I hit the ground... And the glass shatters and slices open to my fingers pretty badly. And um, they knew right away. And, and someone was like, don't move. And I knew, I knew I hurt my, but there was a lot of blood everywhere because of the fake blood. But, uh, and then I'm laying on the ground and I'm looking up and there's like Scorsese and De Niro and like looking down at me, really concerned. <laughs> and like, oh, we gotta get, you know, get first aid or the medic. And next thing I know, I was in a car dri- being driven by one of the PAs to the hospital in Queens. So I walk into the hospital, and the first person who I see there, I, I say, you know, I cut my hand. Like code blue, stat, get me! They, you know, put me on a. They won't listen to anything I'm saying. They put me on a gurney. The guys trying to explain, they're not listening because I have three bullet holes in my. And it looks so real. They're sure you just got shot. The last thing they're thinking is movies. So how did they figure? How did they figure it out? I'm trying to tell them, and they think I'm delirious. I'm in a movie. That Martin Scorsese. And they, they, quiet, sir. Quiet. And they bring me into some trauma room. Start cutting open my shirt, and then they see all the squib, the wires, the blood packs. I say, I cut my hand. I'm trying to explain it to you, and then they were, then they like taped it and made me wait in the. They corner got for, pissed off because they didn't realize it. For four hours till they could stitch it up, and then I went back and did another couple of takes. But I think that first take is in the movie.
0: Let me ask you this: I mean, I love that story. I just think I think
2: anybody who is a Goodfellas fanatic would love to hear. That. Well, why it's an important story is because. When they initiate you into the mafia, right, the initiation is they cut your finger and then you bleed the blood on a picture of a saint and they burn it. So it's cutting the finger. So in some ways that was my initiation to the world of mafia movies with the capo the two capos, De Niro and Scorsese, and me getting my fingers cut. So and Marty way. the Don. It was some ways of a metaphor, right? Did you so. see
0: it? When did, when did that sort of... Oh, not until
2: of... after Sopranos. Not until years later. That's so far
0: out. Um, when, you, when you first came up for Goodfellas, were you thinking, like, did you have any sort of
2: fascination with Wise Guys or that shit? Was that part of you? Only through uh, the movies, really. Yeah, no, it wasn't... I mean, I was fascinated... I liked The Godfather, of course. I liked... Uh, Raging Bull. I mean, what were some of the other mob movies from back then? I don't even know. I mean, I I mean, especially The Godfather. I just oh, The Godfather
0: is such a beautiful
2: movie. Yeah, but I wasn't. uh, I didn't really grow up around that. It wasn't something that fascinated me particularly. You grew up in Westchester, right, Mount Vernon? Vernon, yeah. And and there wasn't like
0: a fucking that thing. There
2: was, but um, but it wasn't something that you would necessarily see very uh in your face you know
0: the the funny thing to me is just how it
2: you learned every aspect of that life just playing it right yeah well when i got cast well that was the first mob thing i think it was i started researching it and and i'd done a bunch of mob stuff over the years a couple of one thing i got cast in a movie that never happened as lucky luciano so i did a lot of research about the mob then And for Goodfellas, they did a lot of research into the mob during the, you know, 60s and 70s. When you started coming up, though, as this,
0: you know, mob actor, did the real guys start approaching you? Now and then. Was it weird? Was it scary? Did you feel like you were Sometimes. one of them for a
2: second or no, never? No. Not even close. No. F- I mean, I've spent most of my time with artists. And right. Actors. Well, that's the funny
0: it's thing that I want to say to the Dopey Nation. It's like, mm-hmm. I've experienced you through the movies. Yeah. I read your book, but I experienced you through the movies and through television. And Michael comes in. He's got his Buddhist necklace, and he's yeah. got a, a, a Buddhist
2: uh, bracelet, and he's very chill, <sighs> yeah. sort of hippie artist guy. Yeah, and came for, exactly. You much know, more so. And I came much... It, it, up in uh, you know experimental theater in East Village and downtown and music scene and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, much. That's my that was was my kind of late teens was the beginning of that. And amongst the poets and painters and things like that.
0: Sure, uh, amongst this crew of of mafia actors of De Niro and Pesci or or, or uh, Marty Scorsese or whatever, were those
2: guys more artists? driven like were they well De Niro's father was a painter right I mean De Niro grew up in Manhattan I mean they kind of knew him around Little Lily but he was much more of a artistic type I guess so
0: when they're breaking away from a beating scene are they discussing
2: highfalutin artistic things and stuff well I don't know because when you're on the set there wasn't a ton of small talk on the set you know and De Niro didn't hang out a lot on the set when he wasn't working because I think to conserve energy is how it appeared to me um, you know there's more just like joking around Sure and stuff.
0: it's just funny it's just a funny Thought to anybody who like cause you watch It as as a witness you're,
2: you're Just a viewer you know what I mean or, And especially as a kid you're like these are the Toughest guys well, in the some of the guys in the movie Especially who have smaller parts kinda, Some of them may have Had one foot or another or maybe just Grew up around a lot of those guys and maybe Didn't have the same kind of artistic Education that I did you know or that Robert De Niro did as the son of an artist as his father was a, was a part of the abstract expressionist scene in New York was, his, actually, his father is actually mentioned in Jack Kerouac's book Desolation Angels Sure. when he's talking about the Cedar Tavern scene and de Kooning and Pollock and he mentions Robert De Niro Sr. He doesn't call him senior because back then there was no junior. That's amazing. But it's in the it's in Kerouac's Desolation Angels.
0: Yeah, I heard I heard you talk a lot about
2: these writers, and I'm just I was gonna... a big fan of the Beats in my teens. And Who, you, Kerouac was your favorite of them, as the novelist. Yeah, I mean, I love um, Ginsburg's poetry uh, and um, uh, Corso's poetry, uh, but Kerouac, I think, um, I think I always say I think Kerouac's a very underrated writer because. He's so identified with this beat which became the beat nicks and the hippies which was not him this persona and this image and stuff which he's really he had written a million words apparently before he even got published you know so he he went to Columbia. he was you know he was a, a book a worm to the nth degree and he was extremely well written with incredible vocabulary and his technique as a writer um i mean people think it was just a spontaneous kind of improv thing but uh, his sentence construction, his you know imagery. I mean, he is, he was incredible. Right. He was very. I think on the road is not my favorite. I love by, on the road. I, I, I love it. it. But there's other works by him that I think are far are far better. Like uh, Big Sur, uh, Tristessa, which may be my favorite of his. Even Dharma Bums. I, I love think, Dharma. I think Bums all too. those surpass on the road in a lot of ways. I like on the road because it's. It's on the road,
0: it's an adventure oh, it's, I, And I like tremendous. that, and I also like, like linking The characters to his real friends Like who is Burroughs And right. who is, and who is but there, uh, Ginsburg But those are in all of
2: them I Right, mean, and, right, and, right, but I love that And uh, his poetry is incredible Scripture of the Golden Eternity, which are all poems about Buddhism Really shows uh, He had a very deep Deep understanding of Buddhism
0: See, all that shit, when I was a kid, when I was in school, that shit kind of led me to drugs, like the Beats, Burroughs, Kerouac. Uh, there was a famous documentary made at that time called uh, Pull My Daisy. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah.
2: That was Robert Frank.
0: And, it, and Robert Frank and this guy, and his name is escaping me, but he was a professor where I went to school. I went to school and purchased. Who was Robert Frank? No, the other guy. Uh, fucking hell, I'm going to kill myself. Hold on. Let me look up his name. It Wait. wasn't Jonas Mikas, was no, it? No, it was. I can't.
2: This is so annoying. Robert Frank and John R- Cohen. John Cohen is. His oh, name. I don't know him. He's a great photographer and filmmaker. Well, it's not really a documentary. It's an improvisational.
0: Right, but if it, but it's like it's a documentary. It's of a the document. Time.
2: It's a document of that yeah. time. It's not like a traditional documentary where it's kind of like examining. It's kind of more recording a subject than like examining something or going into it. But it's a lot of it's. Improvisational scenes That they're doing too. You know Robert Frank Just died the other
0: day too. I didn't know that He just died And uh, it's like he this was era. Oh yeah uh, But this guy John Cohen Was a, a photography teacher Where I went to school uh, To purchase Yeah, yeah. my kid Two of my kids went there To purchase? Mm-hmm. Oh, That's funny um, It's a great school I mean, I—that's really where I did heroin for the first time. But besides that, it's well, awesome. Yeah, you're not alone, probably. Oh, definitely not. Um, this John Cohen was a banjo player. He played in a band called the New Lost City Ramblers, which is a very oh, yeah. yeah big, mm-hmm. big band. But all that shit really tapped me to want to be a beat. It wanted me to be a writer. It wanted me to be a musician. But I became a drug addict. You didn't go down that path like that, no. Were you did you did you find yourself here and there experimenting with anything or yes, yes.
2: okay but I was too uh, cautious and too smart. Well, I just wanted to do. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to create. I wanted to do art. I, I. I didn't want to. You know. I saw how it just led to the inability to do that when that became when that took over when that took over uh, everything.
0: Well, that's a and, rational kind of opinion,
2: and it's rational based on seeing it firsthand and seeing it destroy people, and and, and just knowing, you know, it's like you know, somehow I had the grace to, uh, you know, avoid uh, des- destroying myself through that. Well, it's a, you, it is grace, you know, and I want to jump around a little bit. It is grace because it's not it's not necessarily just a rational decision. What do you mean by that? Because I think a lot of people are, who get addicted and destroyed by drugs are very smart and are very rational and are just, and, and very beautiful human beings too, and it's just... The degree to which that disease takes, you know, manifests, I think. I didn't see it coming, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody does. I, I, I didn't see it coming, and I
0: didn't know how hard it would be to get out of it, and it's a miracle that I didn't get killed, and it's a miracle that I'm on the other side of it, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're—I if you're, mean, I see everything through the lens of New York. If you were in New York in the 80s and 90s, in any kind of artistic circle or downtown circles— you saw tons of it all of us did if you were in going to clubs or hanging with artists or hanging downtown or working in bars and restaurants like i did you saw this it was every is of course I, and among famous you know or you know very uh, you know i was uh just starting studying acting and stuff when you know basket died and then and and um you know you saw it in front of you you know and and uh you know, I was lucky because I fell in with a lot of good peers and a lot of good people who inspired each other and pushed each other to to be be good at what we were doing and experiment, produce our own. I, mean, well, I started producing theater when I was like 21. I didn't even know what I was doing. We were like, let's put this up, you know, and let's, let's find a theater and scrape or borrow money. This guy's mother's got money and just put it up and... You know, I had I had a lot of people from my acting class who went on to do that, and we were we, we inspired each other. Some of whom I still work with today. You know, I, I find that that five years later that kind of becomes
0: a drug in a weird way. Like for me, like the the process of creating now,
2: it totally supplanted the process You're of very. Uh, that's a, that's very. It reminds me. of the, <laughs> the simpsons did like an episode where it was like the behind the music episode and, it was like, and he was like uh you know and it talks about how homer gets hooked on drugs because from doing all these you know the fall the fall yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he's like fame was like a drug but what was really like a drug was were the drugs drug. yeah that's classic <laughs> i love that you were on the
0: simpsons too right
2: i was yeah i played some uh, it wasn't one of my favorite episodes.
0: Well, The Simpsons. I think I like. I my daughter like. I, I pushed The Simpsons on my daughter. I have a nine year old and I have a one and a half year old, and my and I won't let. I won't watch an episode of The Simpsons past season eleven. I just won't do it. Yeah, you know I don't want to put myself through it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean no slight to them because making you know five hundred episodes of something as something great is impossible. Well,
0: so much, but their right? problem was that. It was all the same year Nobody gets older Nothing can change You know Lisa's always gonna be Fucking in third grade Or second grade So
2: so Eventually The well starts to It has to It has to
0: Now I wanna jump around with you um, Because I don't want you To have to go And not talk about This amazing book You just wrote Mm. When did you write the book? I started writing in 2013 and now it's 2019, so six years ago you started The Perfume Burned His Eyes. Yeah, it, it
2: was released in 2018. I, got, I started working with my publisher in 2017, so I guess I finished it uh, around 2016.
0: Right on. And I, I loved it. it was, it's, a, it's a novel. It's your first novel. Yeah. And when you started acting, were you, was it acting, 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 or were you thinking, I want to write, too?
2: A couple of years after I started uh, writing, you know the the circles I was in, people did a lot of things, but like the punk scene, post punk scene, no wave scene, New York in the eighties. It was very much cross pollinization and a lot of a lot of art forms. You know, so I was playing music. I started writing not long after that. I didn't. Fi- I went till I was thirty. And I would move every year, you know, apartments, sometimes twice in a year, and I would move the... And I would always get these notebooks, notebooks after... By the time I was 30, I had a stack of notebooks with ideas, scripts, half of a script, half of a book, crap, and it was... And one day, I threw it all away. Wow. Because I... I realized I had nothing to say with all this, and then I started working on a project that became Summer of Sam with a writer named Victor Caliccio, and then realized... What could be said through that, and that was the first time something actually got finished
0: that's a that's a dark movie you know it's a great movie great oh, it's a dark movie but it's it it's very dark, dark yeah. and like that dude it's about it's about this punk punk rock guy from Bay, Bay Ridge, or oh, from the Bronx, but there's no, isn't that doesn't live in Brooklyn? I'm Bronx. remembering, yeah, Brooklyn club section of the Bronx, and he fucking, you know, his friends turn on him because he doesn't want to be like his friends anymore.
2: Well, his friend, what happens is, and this is true. Now it happened in, in the Bronx, and it happened where I grew up in Mount Vernon, because the, the the murders happened in the Bronx and in Queens, and people, the cops were going on TV saying. It may be he probably lives among you. He might be the guy who lives down the street in the basement of an in an apartment in the basement who who doesn't talk to people. So people started looking at their neighbors. Some in some of these neighbors, they started making lists of people who could be the son of Sam. So anything that made you out of the ordinary—you had a bad divorce, you beat your wife, you were a Vietnam vet who was now on drugs—you know anybody who was the other is accused. It, it, it's it's suspect, my cousin, suspected. My cousin got beaten almost to death by guys he grew up with. I don't even know why they thought he was the killer. It wasn't because he was a punk rocker. Was that the inspiration behind no, the whole thing? No, because Victor started writing this story before, uh, you know, uh, on his own. And when I read an early draft of it, I, I really related because of that reason. And then we started writing together and then eventually got it to Spike. And it got made. But uh, so... Some of this really happened. It was a very it was a very tense and disturbing period of time in New York. Well, you seem to
0: be focused on that sort of era because this book, "The
2: Perfume," burned his eyes,
0: takes place around the same time.
2: Around the same time, and I was really not. I was seventy six when the book starts. I was ten, so I, I wasn't in the city i would come in maybe to go see the circus or something the empire state building i wasn't in manhattan that all that much i was in the bronx a lot in mount vernon which is where my family was so but i i just I romance About that period of time Sure And there's some Of the movies that I loved That were made That is something artistically That was happening here That I still have Just a nostalgia It's for.
0: insane If you think about it I mean I, When you walk around Manhattan now And everything is fucking Fresh and code, Just salad Smoothie Fucking shit Everywhere Everything costs a million dollars Everything is the same font An apartment Is like This apartment is cheap Because it's still public housing But like Every apartment right. is so expensive wasn't
2: it would be ridiculous Yeah exactly yeah. But
0: the point is Like in that era The city was dangerous uh, Artists could live cheap Yeah Fucking
2: I you- lived in On Mineta Street When I was 22 years old And worked in a, I worked in a, a, a You know A shitty restaurant In the, I lived in Greenwich Village That apartment I don't know what that apartment would be My girlfriend and I lived there She worked in a restaurant I worked in uh, in, a, in a restaurant I was making Not that much money And I lived in the village and not only that, it's New York.
0: You know what I mean. It could be New York as Beirut. It could right. be New York where you get jumped every once in a while. Because I did growing up here, I would yeah, get yeah, jumped yeah. every once in a while. Yeah, it happens. Um, but it it creates the possibility for action, be it creative. I mean, so many cool
2: scenes were born yeah, here. It was very fer- fertile ground, and you know the unique thing. Um, I and mean, pretty much, I only was in Manhattan. I never really. I never lived in. A, Brooklyn or Queens or anything, and I, I didn't really spend much time out there. I was, I was here, Manhattan. The neighborhoods in Manhattan, like, Chelsea was very, very, very different than oh, yeah. the village. And was very, it was completely different than the Upper East Side, and completely different than the East Village and the Lower East Side. It all had very distinct characters. You didn't have to be wealthy to live there. You had a lot of artists, poets, failed artists, crazy artists, playwrights. And hmm. What happened with gentrification Is the homogeneity of Manhattan Sure which, which in some ways is One of the most disappointing things to me
0: It's it The fucked up thing is the only way that it goes the other way is total catastrophe. The only way that, like, all of these corporations move out of New York is, like, a flood or a, some horrible thing. Like, nine eleven. for a second, you didn't know that the city was going to come back. You know, there was a moment there where, where things
2: you didn't yeah. know. It's a really great book about, I don't know if you've read it, The Vanishing New York. Did you read that by uh, Jeremiah Moss? No. It was started as a blog, and he was just documenting, like, you know his favorite deli went out of business or his favorite bookstore went out of business is it a photo book though no the, okay. the the blog had photos and was specifically about places but the book is a history of gentrification that starts really in early 20th century Manhattan and it's fascinating to see the real gentrification on steroids actually is not under Giuliani as much as it was under Bloomberg. Bloomberg really wrote the ticket for... Corporations. For, that was the difference. For you know developers to really just have... Whatever free, they free want. Range. It slides up the pie. But the book, if you're interested in this topic, it's it's a very, very well researched and fascinating look at this city and how and what happened over over time. It's
0: crazy because when we were when I was a kid, corporations weren't allowed to to plant a the flag. There were there were only mom and pop
2: stores around, and that's another thing that in Times Square there were mom and pop stores when mm-hmm. I when I got here in eighty three. Yeah. But your book uh, focuses on that kind of era,
0: nineteen seventy six. It's about a kid uh, who moves from Brooklyn to
2: Manhattan. Queens. Oh, I'm sorry, I get all these neighborhoods confused. From a blue collar working class. I've confused three boroughs during this interview. It's sad. So he he's brought up in a in a very blue collar working class environment. And his father and grandfather die Within the space of like six months And his mother winds up inheriting a little money That she didn't expect And decides to take him out of his neighborhood school And just him and her move to The east side of Manhattan Which is only maybe two, three miles away From where he grew up But is completely different planet basically
0: Even in 1976 You know, to move from, to move from Especially Queens Especially in 1976 Right, 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 really, right, totally Maybe even more then than now in a way because Queens was like a, just a, a different sort of planet than 50th Street. It was 52nd Street
2: Does he move to? Something like that? East, East 51st or first 52nd? One or the other. I forget. Um,
0: but the, the kicker, and, and I, I could eat that kind of shit up because I love reading about old New York too, but the kicker is he moves into fucking the same building that Lou Reed happens to live in.
2: Right. Which is just like... Which it, Lou, during that period, did live on the Upper East Side, which I always found... He lived with... Uh, Transgendered woman. Her name is Rachel, and that's there's photos of them together. She's on one of the album covers, and 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 so I knew that. And which is not out of the ordinary for if you know Lou's work. But what I did find very strange is that he lived on East Fifty First and like First in some kind of posh kind of building because he's always known for living on the Bowery. He lived on Christopher Street. He lived in uh, West Eleventh Street in the last years of his life. And he was shooting speed. It, he was a very Drug, druggy period of his life, staying up for days, but very prolific, fertile, creative period. I always found that fascinating. I started writing the book because my son was 16 and I just wanted to relate to that mind. And I, 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 Lou wasn't in the book. I was just writing this story about this kid in 1976. And three months into the writing, Lou died. And besides being a big fan and him being a big inspiration, I had become friends with him the last. Uh, in a dozen or so years of his life. So his death hit me on a number of levels, and then all of a sudden I had the idea of, like, what if I put the kid and Lou together somehow? And that's how the book was born.
0: Well, it's a great um, twist. You know, it's also just, like, it's kind of like the idea of fan fiction. Like, you you know that this guy ex- exists. Like, what if he did this? And I, and I think you really... I didn't know Lou Reed. I always thought sometime in my life I'd get to meet him, but it never happened. Um... But it really felt like him. From you know, I, I was such a fan of his early stuff of the Velvet Underground and and that whole period and and how he sang and how he wrote and, and it was so plain but still so nuanced. You know, I, that's what I love about Lou. And I also love how much he loved early rock and roll and really just integrated it into the the flash of the seventies. Like he would have the flash with the primitive
2: with the poetry, and it was yeah. this great weaving literary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, you know he really Brought, to me what he did That was interesting uh, He brought a real Literary sense To rock and roll Very different way Than Dylan did I mean, Dylan Lou Reed was super It was casual And also satirical yeah.
0: Dylan was satirical too It just was a different approach Yeah You know I loved it like In a When Lou would talk to himself on the track Like he would say Like in Temptation Inside of Your Heart And and he would be like I can talk to myself if I want to And he'd say one thing And he'd say another thing And he'd be like Oh that doesn't sound like Martha and the Vandellas to me And like just he's like really He seems like such a lovely dude But then what you read about
2: him he's, He was like such a dick to so many people at the same time Well especially when he was doing a lot of drugs Yeah it happens to the best in, of in us In the early part of his life um, But uh, yeah I mean Take No Prisoners is You know that live album was recorded at the bottom line I think it, In 79 uh, It's my favorite because He talks Through half of it and it's hysterical And he's you know it's he i probably still using drugs at that point but it's just very funny and very revealing in some ways but the performances of the songs are incredibly passionate and and intense and it's really it's a fascinating document of him
0: well i think um i think that the listeners of this show would really get a, a kick out of your book because like this guy the character matthew very innocent, he's innocent, I mean, but he gets put through hell in this book. He does, yeah. he, he falls in love with this. I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but he falls in love with this woman who this young girl who's like way more mature than her years. And she turns out she's like a sex worker and
2: she's also like a, a, a Wiccan sort of dark, and brilliant and artistic, and yeah. everything that he kind of feels he's not, but he inspired by, I mean, the premise really is to, the kid kind of explores all the totems of manhood without with this quasi-father figure who's almost like a shaman. That's the figure of Lou. He's the artist. So he, the kid smokes for the first time. He goes to a bar for the first time. He gets drunk for the first time. He has sex for the first time. He does drugs for the first time. Falls in love for the first time, all in this concentrated period when he's under the influence of this, Great artist, you know.
0: And when his life falls apart, though, that's like the—it's very powerful. But it's also something I could really relate to, you know, like at in the end of the book where he totally hits bottom, but also just all of the little bottoms along the way with right. the with the amplifier and the truck and the
2: right. accident and and then and then having to like he drives for the first time, yeah. Another totem of yeah, of manhood, you know.
0: What was his first drug experience in the book? I don't even—I don't remember that scene well.
2: Um, well, he gets drunk in the bar as yeah, the first yeah. time, but it's it's when he him and Veronica go to this guy's apartment. Oh yeah, yeah, with the uh, coke, it, right? He they do. Uh, um, I think it's. No, well, I'm spacing out. I think they do acid or or some kind of laced pot.
0: Okay, okay. Um, in the end of the book, remind me and forgive me because I'm so I was so caught up in so many other aspects of you that I didn't get to the, the heart of the, the thing. Is he in recovery at the end,
2: Matthew? At the very end? Yeah. When we go to the 2013? Yes. Yeah, in California. Is, the whole book takes place in, from 76 to uh, end of 77, 78. And then the last chapter jumps to uh, 2013, three days after Lou died. And now the guy's in, in his late 50s reflect, you know, and he hears... Lou's music being played on the radio because it's there was a lot of his music on the radio after he died um no he's not in recovery what what i would to me what happened is he he became an artist in some discipline and that so Luz was almost initiating him as an artist he gave him the bass yeah that's the other level and the kid now is a man and the kid is very, like I said somehow innocent, very kind of passive in a lot of ways and just like watching and observing and Afraid to really assert his own opinions of things. So the last chapter, I I try to have him be kind of very opinionated. Right. And very... Assured, uh, in a way. Yeah, and very kind of, you know, like he's different than he is as a kid, and there's some evolution. But I wouldn't say he's in recovery, no. He
0: he says something that I always found interesting, because as a fan of Lou Reed's, like, I was... I was obviously not, like, taken by the hand and and did heroin because Lou Reed did heroin, but it wasn't that far off. You know what I mean? Like, he was just one of the people that I admired that was into it. You know, you listen to some of his songs. You listen to Waiting for the Man. You listen to heroin. You you feel that vibe, and I was uh, easily, you know, moved. Influenced, Influenced, exactly. Um, And in the end of the book, you have this passage Describing Lou drinking a beer, a Tecate, and um, and Lou is this big recovery guy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like that was when, when I first come started coming around recovery. They'd be like, "Oh, maybe you'll see Lou Reed. You know, maybe he's at there's some famous meeting called the Red Door. I heard Lou Reed's always at the Red Door. And I right. read that, and I was like, "That's interesting. Like, had you read that, or did you just want to throw it in there that he could have a beer?
2: I was before I knew him. I saw him at a party drinking a beer. Wow! But I, like I say in the book, I had heard on the street, and I say in the book, he, he, I heard ano- that he was anonymously. Do you want to read that recovery. part? I have. So you know, because in AA you're not supposed to say anything that you, who you see there, who you do, but obviously that doesn't apply to famous people. Well, it does. I mean, I, I didn't see it. I had heard he was in AA, so someone from AA must have told somebody that he was there.
0: Right, but luckily you weren't in it, so you didn't do the wrong thing.
2: I lost the spot. No, I didn't do the wrong thing. No, uh, so I, I lost says, the spot. So he doesn't, you know, so at the kid after he, him and Luke kind of part ways in the book, and the kid never really became friends with him again, you know. But he saw him in a... Uh, it's my fault. Hold on, let me... No, park. no, I got it right here. All right, cool. Uh,
0: here, wait for the siren. Hold for siren. Is that good direction? That's good direction. Thank you. There you go. The, the guys who listen to the show always think the cops are after them when they're listening to the show and they
2: hear a siren. Horrible, my, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Fuck them with people's heads. Fuck the siren. Just read it. I don't care. So... He uh, he says, the, uh, the story told here, closing with me on the edge of manhood, he's talking about the 70s, is as much yours as it is mine. So now the guy's talking to Lou, basically, although Lou's dead. Its end is where we parted, and it would be at least 15 years until I'd see you again. I didn't mention who I was or that we'd met before because I didn't expect you'd remember or recognize me. You didn't, so I expressed my admiration as a fan. I'm pretty sure it was a post-premiere party for a film... And I'm certain it was at El Teddy's or El Internacional. I don't recall what incarnation the joint was at the time. You were standing at one of the floor-length urinals in the men's room. After following you in, I know, I stood and peed with an empty drain between us to be polite. Looking straight ahead at the white tile wall, I said, I was listening to you this afternoon. Magic and loss. It's a masterpiece. He glanced over for a little second, and after assessing if I posed any threat, you turned back to the wall and said kindly, "'That's pretty cool.' Then you zipped up and walked away. A little while later, I watched you drinking a can of Tecate at the bar. This surprised me, because word on the street was that you were anonymously sober.' standing next to my recovering friend whose guest i was that evening i pointed out the beer he shrugged and said junkies man they have a sobriety all their own i didn't understand what he meant by then you were a long way from junk or speed or whatever it was that possessed you way back when and to reduce you to junkie like once a junkie always a junkie well for my friend i apologize
0: yeah i love that um, and also, like, I mean, from where I'm coming from, I, I wouldn't judge anybody for doing anything in their life, you know. If, if, Me neither. Or, or whatever the case on, may on, be. Only cruelty. Well, exactly. And that's something that I heard uh, in terms of your Buddhist practice. Um, and I know that I said this is going to be 45 minutes, and we're at 46 minutes. And I didn't do
2: all the stuff. I'm good till five.
0: All right, cool. All right. Um, I liked Hearing you talk about Buddhism on that podcast, and I got into Buddhism when I was on drugs, so you can't really get into anything when you're on drugs. And then when I. Except drugs. Yeah, except drugs and drugs and stealing and robbing supermarkets for cookies to eat and stuff. Um, But. Fucking, there was a book that I got one of the first times I
2: got sober, which was a Technahan book, which was... Uh, oh, I'm reading his new one right now called No Mud, No Lotus. He's That's such a, a beautiful great. writer. Beautiful. And he wrote,
0: uh, I think, uh, The Tao of Sobriety or so, something like he that. He wrote that, yeah? I, I think so. About sobriety. And it was just where mindfulness and being sober meet. And uh, when I heard you on this other podcast, you were talking about how... You know, first of all, how the most important reason that you were a, a Buddhist was because it's to be compassionate and to be kind and to do kind of the right thing. Yeah. And and that's really all the tenets of twelve step. You know, it's to do the next right, right thing, to be, long, you know. to keep your side of the street clean. And and I just thought, you know, what a cool intersection that is.
2: You know, right. Well, the twelve steps are spirit, spiritual principles, really. Right. And it's about the twelve step is having had a spiritual awakening. So it's really, you know, it's no. I don't think it's any accident that there's they intersect. Right.
0: And I think that's also par- probably one of the reasons that you. I mean you've had a very blessed life and you've had a life that's like pretty shiny and sweet
2: you know Yeah I'm you know I have I've had I've you know for the most why I would attribute that to uh I grew up with very loving parents and and grandparents and my brother and then met really great friends and created my own family uh my wife who's wonderful and kids and stuff so i attribute it to that
0: how much of matthew is you
2: um none of the uh none of the facts like none, none of what happens in the book happened to me um i relate to him emotionally you know i mean seeking uh, and, and like yeah. kind of being insecure in a way yeah like
0: like all teenagers like are like all though. teenagers yeah.
2: i mean you know why i wanted to write about teenage years is it, it, it's just such a such a vulnerable time you know where you you you're, you're so unsure of everything and you're not a kid and you're not an adult and you want to be an adult but you want to be a kid and you know all these things that all of a sudden you you want to start to experience it's just you're going in with such you're so un unformed in a lot of ways you know and and uh so um, You know, I've had a, um, I mean, uh, my life hasn't been without, you know, darkness and tragedy like everybody's, but uh, I've been around really great people. I've been fortunate to, to cultivate really good relationships, I would say, out of anything well that 's beautiful, and uh,
0: they say one of there 's a big writer now who always talks about connection being the opposite of addiction. You know an addict is without these connections
2: yeah because with, with 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 drugs and alcohol and like being possessed by those things you you can't really be mindful. mindfulness goes out the window really you know yeah but i mean it's funny because in the beginning you feel like it
0: is a path towards spiritualness like you take lsd and you think you're having a spiritual experience and maybe you
2: are but that's but that ex- is not my, i mean no it's a, the opposite kind of ecstatic kind of peak experience is not necessarily mindfulness it's so it's a, it's a different thing i mean mindfulness in terms of day to day life you know like being aware of how you want to behave in the world toward others and stuff like addiction is the opposite. You're looking; in you're, it's just about what you want, what you're doing.
0: Well, I think that's what like the goal of of, of twelve step living is to like look at your at what you're doing. Like I, I heard you on that podcast talking about bearing witness to your thoughts. Right. You know, and I had never even heard that through phrase meditation. before. Yeah, as through meditation. So, how often do you meditate every day?
2: Almost. Not, not, yeah. Sometimes not every day, but but what I try to do because uh, you call meditation a practice, practice being, practicing at being mindful in life. You know what I mean. It's easy to be enlightened on the cushion. Try doing it on the subway. You know, right. I mean that's when it's really you know life. Try doing it when your kid you know he pisses you off. Yeah. You know. I mean I could. that's what I mean it's like um, those bringing those things into life you know and uh, uh, you know Buddhist principles I believe we're a lot more connected we are interconnectedness is what we are not an aspect of what we are it's really truly is what we are
0: right it's a beautiful idea I I feel like now that I'm sober I could get into Buddhism in a whole uh, other way I would uh, heartily endorse I'm gonna give it a shot but you have to know that like
2: I probably saw The Sopranos the first time. When did it come out? Uh, it first aired in uh, 1999. So I think I probably saw it January
0: sometime that year. And the first episode I saw was when Tony was taking uh,
2: Meadow to college. Yeah, I that, think that, that was like the second or third episode. Of, yeah. yeah.
0: And, um, and I was like, hmm, what's this kind of thing? And then somehow I got into it. And to tell you that I've probably seen the series... The whole series ten times is like really. I think I've wow, seen it ten extreme. times. It's fucked up because I would watch it getting high. I would watch it getting sober. It was like played in reruns on Bravo for a couple years, yeah. and I would sit wow. there and I'd watch the reruns. Wow. Like, like I'm I'm You've the seen kind it of, way more than I have I know, so it's kind of embarrassing. Um, but oh fuck, that's the housekeeper. So my dad's housekeeper came And I sent her away Because I'm a dick And um, we're talking about The Sopranos now And the Dopey Nation knows Like I'm a Sopranos freak You know I, I, I've seen the whole thing Probably ten times And I've seen Like Which I was I telling you I said was very extreme It's sick In a way I'm But the fucked up thing is I'm watching it again now.
2: I watch it as a a relaxation tool. No, I understand that something that's very familiar sometimes can be very comforting you know like um, you feel safe around those people you know, you, I mean you know what To expect you know it's going to happen there's some some safety in that I, I get that. I actually
0: did a web series at Katz's years ago, and Joe Gannascoli was my big guest on that. Oh, yeah. And I used to wait on the guy that played Hesh at Katz's. He was there every every week. Um, And he was a sweet guy, you know? He's a sweetheart. I think he got smart and stopped eating there because we could live. Um, But... uh, I just use it as a a real relaxation technique. And we had started talking about these other shows that I loved the same way The Wire, Breaking Bad, Mad Men. And Michael, to my dismay,
2: said he had never seen any of them. I've never seen Breaking Bad, and I never saw The Wire, and I never saw... I saw the pilot of Mad Men, that was it. So when you wrote for The
0: Sopranos, you were never thinking, I want to be a TV writer?
2: I just wanted to write for The Sopranos. I wasn't thinking in terms of career... Did you you wrote a bunch of classic
0: episodes? Did you did you like pick like for example in the in the episode where Christopher gets
2: shot? You wrote that he has risen. I I pitched that. Um, So after we shot the first season, I fell in love with the show and all the characters, and I and I just wanted to write for I that Summer Sam had uh, just been shot. It hadn't been released So I wrote a spec script Between season one and season two And gave it to David And I had Christopher ODing And having this afterlife experience And David was like Oh we can... Because goes, I like what you're doing. We can use that afterlife thing after, Chris, well, I'm planning Christopher getting shot in season two. So that's how I started writing for it.
0: When they made Christopher a writer, was that because they knew what you were about?
2: Well, in the pilot, which was written before I was cast, he has a line to Tony and he says, my cousin Gregory's girlfriend is a development girl in Hollywood. And she said, I could sell my story and make money. So he had aspirations towards Hollywood, whether or not they went the, down the writer's route because i was writing i'm not really sure maybe you had little of both there
0: and when you have christopher like struggling trying to write and you're like beating christopher's beating the computer like you're is it like channeling your own like passion through this instrument which is not you like like does it connect back to you when you do that
2: I mean, in some ways, because you're always going to bring your own experience into your acting. You know, you try to relate as as closely as you can. But there was clear lines between me and Christopher. Of course, I, it was never blurred. You know what? Let me ask you this though. When I listened to that podcast, it was who is Joe
0: Arthur? Joseph Arthur? Who is this? He's guy? a musician. Do you like him? Is he I good? do like him I never he's really good Did he yeah. interview without a shirt Or he wore the shirt for the interview No he had a shirt on Every, Everything I've seen with him He's been shirtless really? Afterwards I like Start he's to um, check him I'm out I to
2: see him uh, I've never seen him play live But he, uh, Jesse Mallon Do you know who Jesse is? I know the Jesse name Jesse Mallon has a new album out And he's doing a concert Tomorrow night at Webster Hall And Joseph is going to be Playing with him But Joseph When he was pretty young In his early 20s He caught the attention Of Peter Gabriel Right And Peter Gabriel had a record label at the time, and they signed him when he was really young. So he had, you know, so he kind of came into and and Peter when when they were when Peter was thinking of signing him, he brought Lou Reed to a concert that Joe did at Fez, which is sure I know that cafe Fez. Yeah, he told me this story that he was like. You know, Lou was one of his idols. Like there, he is. This I mean, he might have been 22 at the time doing this concert. As Lou's in the front with a with a, di- a digital tape recorder, That's tape recording up. the thing. He was friends with Lou, but uh, he's a great songwriter and singer and musician.
0: Well, he asked you at the end of the interview, like, have you struggled with addiction ever? And
2: you said yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't want to tell. I'll me. say yes again. And I I don't. Um, particularly like um hearing people's you know when celebrities start talking about it's first of all it's such a hackneyed story like like rocket man that movie i mean the rock star who has it all and then he gets hooked on drugs and then he hates it you know the
0: thing that really sucks about that movie is why don't they use fucking elton john's voice like, why do you think you want to hear another musician? But but just that Regardless, story, that
2: rise and fall, and it's like, you know, it's like I, I'll never read another rock bio. I mean, I don't want to read anybody's rock biography. I mean, Patty's, I think, was an exception because it was much more of a memoir of a time and a friendship than it was, like, the rise and fall and the drug, and drugs and the addiction. i so, you know, I met... You know, I met someone who was starting to tell me about the drug. You know, I was, I'm not. I'm not really interested. You know, I'm. I'm really just not that interested in it. Nor and so I don't. You know, I also don't. Uh, I, there's certain things I want to keep to myself. That's fair. I'll be honest.
0: All right, we're gonna play a little game. We're gonna play. This is my. The, in, the, in the. when me and Chris uh, started making the show, there was an episode that. Um, there's an episode of The Sopranos where Christopher relapses in the car with the Corky character. Okay, and my dream back then cuz I didn't think you would ever come on the show, but I thought I could get the actor that played Corky to Who come is on the that? show. Do you know? No, oh, no but I, I but, but I tweeted with him and he said, "I'll come on your show, but I won't reenact the scene." Would you reenact the scene? No. You won't reenact the scene. No. I can't reenact the scene. No. I have the script. I wrote it out. I'll be you. You be him.
2: Oh, I'll be him. Yeah, I'll be you. You be him. Uh, Let me see it. All right, it's two pages. Yeah. Well, you you said reenact the scene, and I'm assuming being okay. So I'll be Corky. You're Corky. All right, I could do that. All right, cool. So. It's just these two pages. Yeah, okay. you know
0: what? Just that you did it. Put it down. First, we'll do the game. We'll do the game first. I know I'm all over the place, but forgive me. This is the game called the Stash Word. It's the dopey game show. You ready? It's just questions. You answer. I time a minute. We'll see what we get. Number one. What is the Sicilian message? A fish in a newspaper. Yeah, something like that. Name three famous Walt Clyde Fraserisms.
2: Walt Clyde Fraserism? Yeah. I have no. I thought not. you were a Knicks fan. Yeah, but I mean Posting and toasting, shaking and baking I wasn't a fan when he uh, I wasn't into basketball when he was on the team Oh, this is not going to go well um, What was the name of the biker
0: gang Christopher and Tony Robb in season six?
2: The Vandals? No, the Vipers The Vipers, I had the V right
0: Give me five street names for weed
2: um, Dope uh-huh. uh, Shit Okay um, Wilma Never heard it, but I'll take a good it. Good one, right? Yeah. Um, sense. Sure. Uh, Ganjam.
0: All okay, right, that works. I was hoping you'd say Buddha, but what are you going to do? What do you yell when you're practicing Taekwondo?
2: Oh, lots of different things.
0: Isn't there one thing you're yes. supposed to? yell? Kia. Yeah. There's
2: a lot, but um, but that's what they teach you or encourage you when you're starting. But if you get into it, you 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 yell all kinds of things.
0: Okay. Um, you, what is the name of the band That Christopher Moltisanti Agrees to pay To produce a demo for I forgot Visiting Day Visiting Day Yeah right. man That so was that classic. Episode, a hit is a hit
2: That's a good one And he
0: says to the dude the he's like I, I'm out uh, That's your kind of thing It was all about music production And right. the dude's like I got nothing And Christopher tells the guy Spike up man He throws meth at him in a fucking needle And he she says spike hits up
2: Hits him with a guitar Hits him
0: with the guitar It's so um, good So yeah. good
2: I have a really bad Um long-term I have a really good short-term memory really thank God because I can still remember lines but my long-term memory is horrible I have a
0: fucking terrible memory but I remember everything about the Sopranos because I'm a sick person that's cool Um, so let's do this scene it'll be fun it'll be fun for me I don't know if it'll be fun for you let's see so it's Christopher and Corky sit parked in Christopher's Ma- Maserati. And it was uh, following the hit of Rusty Milio, if I, just to jog your memory. Who was played by... What's his face? Uh, the singer. Valley. Frankie Valli. Okay. Um, and, and I came I, up with that name, by the way.
2: Corky, Rusty Milio.
0: It's a good name.
2: What I wanted
0: to ask you is, why do you suppose Spider was called
2: Spider? That was based on a real kid, Michael. His name was Michael Gianco, I think, and that was his nickname. Crazy. That was a real. That was real. That was horrible, huh? horrendous.
0: That that really those happened.
2: Guys, that shooting. Those guys were fucking.
0: You know what I also didn't like about that was the one thing in Goodfellas I didn't hor- like. Horrible people. people. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Right? Did you ever meet any of them? You meet Henry Hill or anything? No, I wouldn't want to Of course Um, The scene At the end of that scene When you're shot dead I mean You take However many bullets And then And then Ray Liotta Is above you And he says He's dead As though it's a surprise Like how could you have been Anything but dead In that moment I didn't like that That read That always annoyed me All right, here we go So Christopher and Corky Are in the Maserati There were times When I was a kid Me and my friend Ronnie Would play on the floor In my kitchen Linoleum Matchbox cars or whatever. He'd go home, his fucking knees would be filthy. His elbows. She never cleaned my mother. Fucking house was a pigsty. Ronnie's mother made him stop coming over, it was so dirty.
2: That's fucked up. Embarrassing.
0: My kid, it'll be different. He'll be proud of his house. Where do you see this
2: place? So that thing, uh, Rusty Milio, I heard that happened. Good job. It's a little less cash than we talked about, but there's a bonus in there for you. It's okay if I fix. Just take me to my car.
0: Rock out with your cock out. Fireplace, parquet floors, bump a pool table in the basement. What? The house I'm getting. You'll come over. Christmas. Christmas Eve, maybe. We're going to start a tradition. You know, you really got to get yourself some help with this shit. I will. I'm gonna. Those fucking works, though. Wets my whistle, that spike. Why is that?
2: I don't know. You want some? Me? No. Okay, it's just, you know, if you want. Uh, well, I guess I could toot some. I remember when I did a
0: lot of blow. I used to get diarrhea just from the smell of paper money in the store, any fucking place, on account of all the baby laxative in the Coke when they actually snort it. Hey, I meant what I said, though. You got to get your ass to rehab fucking Narcotics Anonymous or some shit. How you like this car? It's
2: nice. The leather. Yes. It's fucking funny shit, isn't
0: it? It's fucking so good. but
2: It's, the- ter- it's so sad, but so funny and so... Because you know he's never going to invite him over for Christmas. I mean, that's such well, a classic drug. Yeah, you'll come over for Christmas. It's just like, you know, he never wants to see this guy again. You
0: know? Well, it's it's that dude who plays Corky yeah. is the ultimate junkie. Like, in that scene, you couldn't find
2: a no. guy that looks more cut and out. And that's the only reason why they're friends. Right, well, of course. They became friends.
0: That character, though, was an enigma because he speaks... Total fluent Italian Like remember He gets He meets up with the hitman And he's giving him the guns And he's So was that Eduardo Ballerini
2: Yes Who played that Yes Yeah He's really good Really good There was another character I forget who it was Who played some other Junkie guy I forget But yeah Ballerini's really good He's a good actor It was an amazing scene And then the fucked up thing His father's a professor Of Italian studies At NYU actually he That's why he Puerto. did Such a good
0: yeah. Good Italian yeah, yeah. The fucked up thing though and, and, and I don't know How this affects you Or it doesn't But like As an idiot Junkie I would sit there And I would get high To the scene Wow You know Literally you know, because I'm a fucking idiot junkie Play along at home, kids Basically Horrible And then afterwards, God. they play this song They play this Richie Haven song, Dolphins uh, The Fred Neal version
2: Fred of Fred Neal Oh, so Richie Haven's wrote that? Yeah what Fred Neal's Yeah, the Richie Haven's that's version That's the ride, that's the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah. a really good Well, that's episode. the episode where Adriana dies or no, it's, that it's, was long-term parking. Right, right, right. But it's around there. It's some the ride was, and that was when he was at the feast, the festival. Yeah, at, at, yeah, He's yeah, spacing yeah. out. It's and after the dog. Scene. It's right after that. And he's, he's feeding the it's dog. Great. And episodes. you're lying on your back. Or who wrote that one? That was a good one.
0: Terrence Winter. Yeah, Terry's great. He's good. Yeah. Um. But you were so good in it, and like, oh my god, I, I, I personally hated one of my favorite episodes. Me too. Yeah. Um. But it, it really struck a nerve with me because it was so real. It's heartbreaking. No. It, it is. Um, but it's like, it's really real. And, and when they play that, mu- I mean, the reason that show was so good was because the performances were great, the writing was great, and then the music is great. No. You know, the, the things you see when they play that version of yeah, Dolphins, I know. it really feels like that. It feels like dope. You know, and I listen to Dolphins now. I, I always was like kind of enamored with the song from the
2: scene. Oh,
0: yeah. And uh, and you know, this guy Fred Neal who I don't even he, know who that is Didn't he write
2: Everybody's Talking? Is that Fred Neal? I what? thought
0: Harry Nielsen wrote Harry, it. Harry really.
2: Harry Nielsen sang it but he didn't write it. Maybe. It seems like the same kind of thing. I think thing. It's, I think Fred Neil wrote it. And then Tim Buckley does
0: a version of Dolphins also. Oh really? But the Richie Havens one is the one that I love, but Fred Neal takes me to the scene and the scene is very meaningful yeah, to me. It resonates, um, and also it becomes like a a personal thing, like yeah. like, and it's it's fucking bizarre and weird that somebody like me could experience this character uh, and get high with them.
2: You and know what you I relate mean? Related to a time in your life, right? And when you when you see that episode or hear that song, I bet it probably takes you to a specific.
0: It does, but then the really interesting thing to me is that when Chris and I—and obviously you keep getting confused when I say Chris, as though I'm talking about Multisanti—but right. I'm talking about my friend Chris, who I started the show with. And when we started the show, I was
2: four months clean. He and doesn't do the show anymore. He's dead. Oh, he's dead. He, he relapsed died. And died. He relapsed and died last summer. Oh, that's who you started the show with. Yes. So saw, oh, I thought he was just a friend. That no, you no, no. I didn't realize that you both. Him
0: know. and I started the La- show together. Died last year. He died last summer. Heroin. Uh, Fentanyl. Fentanyl. Yeah. Um, And I remember, though, we would talk about because I was like a a junkie that would watch a lot of TV. Like, I I would always call myself this bourgeois junkie that I I probably wouldn't have a heroin problem if I didn't have cable. I'd probably clean up because I wouldn't want to live in the street or something because, like, I enjoyed that aspect, like, getting high and not existing. And we would talk about this scene, and I would reenact it with him, the wet's my whistle scene, that spike. And, like, he refused to do the lines, and, like, just the fact that you're here doing it it has this incredible meaning to me Because I know that Chris Would have lost his fucking mind You know And it's just very cool Like I know Like where are you You're on the 21st floor In pub- Jewish public housing Sitting at the table Talking to this drug addict But you did something here
2: And I really appreciate it, it You you're, you, Are you open about your uh, Years in sobriety Of or, course uh, how, how long are you sober I'm four years sober Four years and a month sober Today And uh When did you start the podcast?
0: Uh, Three and a half years ago. How many have you done? This is going to be the
2: 205th episode. Wow.
0: And it's 205 episodes in a row, 205 weeks in a row, never missing a week, even when he died.
2: And it's not all artistic, it sometimes deals with... It's usually just drug addicts. They're going to be like, active what? Active and... and
0: re- Usually recovered. Oh. Usually in recovery. Right. You know, my friend Chris would always call himself recovered, and I told him he was really arrogant for saying that. And then he wound up dying, you know, which is fucking crazy. Um, I'm yeah, talking totally, because it, it'll kill you. It, it will, especially you. now. Yeah. Well, last summer I had this friend um, who I met in college, one of my best friends who also watched a ton of The Sopranos with me. He died, and six weeks later Chris died. And, uh, and and it's just like it yeah, will kill you, else? yeah, from fentanyl. Yeah. The same exact story. It will kill anybody. And um, and the show is mostly drugs, addiction, and dumb shit—just stupid fucking stories about around addiction, yeah. you know. With, and then also like kind of how we get sober and how it's so funny to be this lying, thieving. Addict, and then become somebody who does the next right thing and helps the next person and carries the message. And the duality of the two is what I was so interested in. And also, as a fan of the Howard Stern Show, like you listen to the Howard Stern Show and you felt like you were one of his friends. You listen to the Howard Stern Show and you felt like you were getting joy from hearing his life. Like that was the, the nuance of the Stern show. And there was a guy on the Stern show called Artie Lang and Artie Lang was this terrible drug addict. And he wound up like relapsing
2: on the Stern yeah, show. He did that movie beer league. Yeah. For, for some, a lot of my friends were in. Right. And he wound up uh, trying to kill himself. Which is actually a very, uh, it's, you know, it's a movie that's actually has, is a very sweet movie.
0: It's which yeah. one of those kinds, you know, I never saw it and it's, it's embarrassing. Actually,
2: its It's, you know, it's a movie you wouldn't think would be good. I, I hate—I I don't mean that. And it's just like it's an indie, and it's just a, be guys playing softball, beer league. Taxi has a lot of heart. That movie.
0: Well, they need more movies like that. You know, I, I think movies that have heart. I think we don't get characters like the characters that you used to play anymore. I, I, what do you? What did you get? What is this show you're working
2: on now? Uh, I'm doing a series called that's called Lincoln. That's based on the. Lincoln Rhymes series of novels By Jeffrey Deaver It was a movie Bone Collector Sure, It's based on that Um, But uh, I have a movie coming out Uh, It's going to premiere At the Metrograph here in New York In February or March Called Cabaret Maxime That a lot of my Some Soprano, John Ventimiglia's in it Sharon Angela's in it um, I meant that guy Arthur Noscarella's in it uh, it's kind of an homage to Cassavetti's Killing of a Chinese bookie I play this club owner, burlesque club owner Whose family, Life and livelihood is threatened by like Gentrification kind of forces We shot in Lisbon it's a Portuguese filmmaker who lived here for a while It's the third movie we've done with him But it's something that um, You know like when I said When I started out I'm still wor- still working With the same people, it's something that I produced As well and it's one of the things I'm like most proud of, and that's coming out uh, in um, February. Feb- I think we're, we're about to set the date. We just, Metrograph just took it, and it's going to be released digitally right after that. Awesome. And I'm really happy about that. That's one. awesome. Yeah, and I'm doing the book. I've been doing a lot of live readings of the book. You read so great. And I started doing it with a couple other actors and with some musicians, and we're going to do it at Joe's Pub, kind of a longer 90-minute version as much of the story as we can get in with a bunch of actors and some musicians. Did you ever think you're going to do it as a play kind of thing? It's kind of like a radio play because we're not we're doing it as a reading. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But there's a certain twist that I'm doing with, and I'm really I've been I've been doing it I've been doing a, a lot of those in L.A. I'm doing it with Lydia Lunch. Not reading with her; she does her stuff, and I do my read. But now I'm incorporating actors and musicians in it because it you know it should be with musicians.
0: I bet the whole thing could be a play. You know, and and I think yeah. it would be a totally different thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Nobody's ever made a play like that. Yeah,
2: I don't know. So that's the first. I'm making steps in that direction, kind of bringing this to life in different forms. That's been really fun. It's amazing. Really exciting. It's yeah. so cool.
0: Um, and when and I just want to ask you this: when you play such a crazy, knockdown, junkie character, like, where are you getting it from? Like, where where are you getting the nuances? I've or, seen it. It's, b- seen you've it. seen it personally? Yeah. All
2: I've right. seen it, and I've uh, researched it a lot, and um, yeah, I've seen it, a lot of it. Well, I cannot tell you uh,
0: what it means to me to have you over here and to take Thanks. the time. Thanks. I know that my dad's housekeeper is going to show up, so I'd much rather we end it before she comes back. And the, what time does the butler get here? The butler comes after that. After that. And then the okay. tennis instructor. The we play upstairs, yeah, on the roof. It's high living in this joint. All right. You know, people fucking constantly say that we are bragging. Uh, That he lives in Manhattan On the 21st floor And now that the housekeeper Is coming And now you're You're really Giving it credence here
2: Could you tell him What kind of middle class Schmaltz place this is This is is like the uh, Garment Workers Union, right? Yeah, International Ladies Garment Workers they, Union. They, 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 it was built by, by those guys. A yeah, lot. my grandparents moved a in. A lot now. of red diaper babies grew up here. Yeah. Stuff like my that. My grandfather was a communist dentist. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, and a lot of artists came out of here, yeah. Do you feel like I wasted your time by having you here? Or did you oh, get God, no. I enjoyed it a lot. Man. Oh, God. It was fun. It was fun, so... I love having conversations like this, especially about, you know, you know, I mean, talking about artists and, 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 uh, you know, the formative years and all those things. It's always really fun to talk about. Well, it blows me away. Good job.
0: Thank you for coming. Thank you. It's beautiful to have you. Same. So that was Michael Imperioli. Fucking beautiful to have him. Uh, he was a little reluctant to bring the dopey. However, he did do the fucking scene. He did do the scene. Very impressed. The scene I was practicing. I, I when uh, when Bill came over, I showed him. I didn't I didn't make this clear when Michael was on the show, but. Bill was like, well, how did you get the scene? And I was like, I fucking just watched the scene over and over again and typed it out. Types it out slowly. And, and I have the script sitting in front of uh, Bill. He was very impressed. that, Or he was also kind of like unimpressed that I didn't just Google a free soprano script. You want to do this with me? We could do this. Do you want to? They yeah. just heard it. <laughs> we
1: don't have the time. Here, do you want to play Christopher and I'll play Corky? I'm definitely not an actor.
0: All right, we're not doing it. We can't do it. This, this, listen, man. This show's not supposed to be longer. It's not supposed <laughs> to be longer than a two-hour show. I'm going to have Sam down my throat about this. I feel guilty. You did great. You you, you brought too much dopey not to be contained. And Michael Imperioli, it's like, listen, I know people in the dopey nation are going to be like, I don't care about this. He's not a drug addict. Listen, guys, this is something I've always wanted to do. And I can check the dream off in my box of dreams to check off.
1: I mean, I don't even feel like we've talked about DopeyCon and Mountainside and the event that you're going to do. I was hoping we would get a... I was oh, Anna's going to get mad at you. Well, That's not what... only is Anna going to get upset, but I wanted to make you shine. I mean, like, there's a, it's a big deal. All right. We're kicking off, like, we have this brand new recovery resource center. Which you're, going is to, you're, you're going too fast here.
0: <laughs> dopey Nation, October 12th, a lot of you know, is DopeyCon. The, the great part live Dopey. So exciting. Part Dopey Convention, part storytelling jamboree that's how i'm billing it by the way i love it part live dopey part dopey convention part storytelling jamboree it is
1: happening at mountainside's new wellness center now bill i'm sorry yeah it's i'm so excited you know and i'm really excited you're going to be the very first big event that we do there um we have also the first event i've ever done right Actually, it'll be the second because... Oh, because that's right. Because the Appalachian Healing Festival is my warm-up for DopeyCon. Right. I mean, we have this brand-new Recovery Resource Center. Um, It's a hub of recovery right on 18th Street in the heart of Chelsea between 7th and 8th Avenues. Look at you. And it opens... The grand opening is um, Saturday, September 28th. We have an event that's open to anybody in New York City, and you can just go to our Facebook page and register. It's called Recovery to Discovery. And your event, though, is really the big thing that's happening in October. Well, there's, it's funny. There's this lady, this woman,
0: this wonderful woman named Anna, who uh, is uh, in charge of something at Mountainside. and she's Vice she, President of Marketing. She's the Vice President of Marketing at Mountainside, and she's become the Dopey Champion, and she's putting on DopeyCon. And Anna is a tenacious woman, and she's like, they're, they're doing a... Like an arcade A game room Downstairs And she's like She's very funny She's like David have you ever heard Of barcade Well it's gonna be We're gonna have that Downstairs But without the bar I was like
1: Oh so it's gonna be An arcade She's like Yeah that's what I meant Yeah they delivered The pool table last week Ping pong tables um, Like old fashioned Ms. Pac-Man Arcade machines um, Mortal Kombat machines And there's actually Gonna be a ping pong Tournament The opening weekend I think it's Friday Saturday and Sunday Pizza party And it's open We'll we've done is we've invited a lot of the sober livings in new york city it'll be a real high level ping pong tournament yeah, then. Yeah. i go places
0: and i play ping pong i'm like just so you know i've spent a lot of time in detox let's go right you know what i mean like because if you if you have spent any considerable time in any sort of recovery
1: situation you better be decent at ping pong i hope some of your listeners from the dopey nation like ping pong because um on the 20 on the uh, 12th right october 12th i'm pretty sure it'll be open to the public there
0: was a dude
1: when I was at Mountainside, he was, like a, he was like a
0: minor league pitcher. He was this amazing athlete. We called him Johnny No-Nose, okay? And uh, he was a very handsome guy. He always wore like a track suit and, you know. But he was this insanely good ping pong player. He just like, he was unbelievable, except he went up against this hippie named Pat and Pat the hippie like, slept through every group, but he came alive in this ping pong tournament, and he like destroyed Johnny No-Nos. But it was like, this is what I hope your ping pong tournament is like. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. You know how competitive these guys and girls and sober living can get. I love it. Um So yeah, Anna wanted to open up the downstairs Of fucking DopeyCon up to the Dopey Nation To play video games I'm like, no, no, no They're going upstairs We've got dopey business to do But of course, there might
1: be some video games If
0: you guys want to play But I don't really want you guys playing video games at DopeyCon
1: Okay, I don't either I want them upstairs with you Are you going to be selling merch? Uh, That's the idea Okay We'll we'll
0: see There will be I I have like 10 Oy hooded sweatshirts That I'm going to sell I am making exclusive Super thick Dopey hoodies that are not available on the website that will only be available at DopeyCon. Awesome. There might or might not be DopeyCon t-shirts. Probably not, but there might be DopeyCon t-shirts. And I have a hundred and twenty new. Well, they're the same old dopey design, but newly made dopey hats will be available. Excellent. So everybody there can get one if they want, and if not, I'll have a fuckload of dopey hats at home. You know, we started this,
1: like, you know, Madonna's tour opens tonight, right, in Brooklyn, and I am hitting the merch table, like, as soon as I walk in the door. Merch is big. Me and Linda,
0: my lovely partner, went to see The Who on a Sunday night, and uh, it was, Pete Townsend is like, somebody that like maybe he's one of my madonnas for you i love pete townsend and um it was a thrill to see pete townsend play and the who was pretty good they had some sound problems but it's a thrill for me to be in the same room as pete townsend to be honest with you anyway they had insanely nice looking merch but it was very expensive it was so expensive i refused to buy it the t-shirt for 55 dollars $55 $55? Yeah, I think Madonna's t-shirts are probably 65-70. It's obnoxious. It's fucking obnoxious. You fucking sell a ticket that's five floors up for $100 and then you get smacked with a 50 Dopeycon t-shirts the most they'll be is 25 bucks. I mean, that's where they make their money these days. But it's too much. I it's too much. The fucking hats 25 bucks. Maybe 20. Maybe 25, something like that. Yeah, don't commit to anything Yeah, maybe there'll be $55 t-shirts But the the Who's merchandise It looked really good I have to say Um, Anyway, DopeyCon is coming Fucking October 12th It is mostly sold out but if you want a ticket,
1: go on to the thing. There's a wait list. There's a real wait list. So if you Is that what it is? Yeah, if you go onto our, our Facebook page and register for DopeCon, it'll bring you to the event page and you can put your name on a wait list. And you know how these things go. People will be dropping off for one reason or another. So definitely just because it is primarily sold out right now, if you want to go, go to our Facebook page, Mountainside Treatment Center, and sign up for the wait list.
0: All right, there you go. Um, sign up for the wait list Don't hit me up for tickets Sign up for the wait list Alright I got this email today um, And it really really meant something to me It actually meant so much to me That I posted it on um, On our Instagram and our Facebook And you can read it Bill It's the bottom It's here Me the bottom? From right
1: here? Yeah Just got to eight No 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 From here Hey Dave Oh hey say, Dave You gotta say hey Dave Hey Dave Just got to eight days sober, and I can honestly say I owe it all to you and Chris. All of it. Still not sleeping and restless or not using Oxy after two years. I took the cold turkey route with no methadone or Suboxone. Which is crazy. I know this feeling lasts a long time, but I'm slowly getting naps in here and there, while listening to Dopey, of course. Keep up the good work, and I fucking hope I can get another eight days. I'll send a Dopey story in the future... But right, I can't even think about drugs without wanting them, ha. Toodles for Chris. I love that. That's James. He's in Canada.
0: I heard from him later today, and uh, he's doing well. He's in high spirits, uh, considering. I know that like I kicked dope an infinite number of times, and I kicked dope uh, many, many times. It was never totally cold turkey, unless I, no, it was, I think it was never totally cold turkey. I always made sure I had weed, um, and pills And uh, Anything I could To not do dope um, Maybe I don't think I ever Cooked to- I ever kicked Totally cold turkey I think I always had weed And when I was lucky I had pills But what I told this guy Was The shower is your friend The television is your friend Fucking Anything that you can do To give you pleasure Is your friend What would you say To somebody Who is in that situation
1: I tell them to get In their pajamas Um Crawl on the couch, lay on your side. I always found that like laying on the couch and being in your pajamas and throwing a blanket over you was a lot more conducive to feeling better than trying to like lay in your bed and fall asleep. I always just tried to focus on rest, like just you know close my eyes and rest. Right. Um, I felt like falling. I mean, I can't tell you countless nights falling asleep on the couch with the TV on. Um, that that's the way I was able to fall asleep. Never in bed. I went over a year without sleeping in my bed. I lived on my couch.
0: Well, that's that's actually very meaningful because the the bed can be like torture to be in a bed without being able to sleep can yeah. be torture. For me, like I would feel so hot and cold. Like the hot and cold was always like crazy because when you kick opiates, I would I would just always be freezing until I put a blanket on me and then. I would be mixed between freezing and boiling And and my stomach would be turning And I really like I remember every time I I urinated It was like the only time I would pray Is when I urinated And I would say Thank God for letting me drain I would say that every time Mm. Because it was such a simple thing That took like the pressure off my bladder And um, I also remember Just watching a ton of Lost Watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, watching any, th- any any hour that I could get Where I was thinking of something Besides copping and besides misery Was like a great win You know, for me That's how I look at uh, at kicking And uh, my thoughts and my prayers Are with James And um, Bill It was a fucking joy to have you I wanted to do way more at the end But I don't like episodes that are too much longer than two hours Yeah, no one's listening to us right now You'd be surprised You'd be surprised Um Thank you so much for coming Of course, absolutely It's been a pleasure And we will have you back I know that the Dopey Nation Will love you Write about how much you loved Bill's crazy water tower uh, adventure You know, they used to There was this place years ago They set it up as a secret restaurant Inside a water tower Have you heard about that? No, in New York? Yeah They like decorated the inside So it was like this super bougie Secret clandestine water tower Fucking restaurant. And um there's also like many books about how beautiful the water towers of New yes, York are. They are beautiful. And uh I know from where we live or where my dad lives now, where I grew up, you look out and you see so many and where I grew up uh on the cityscape there were these there were these old sort of murals that were ads that were painted on the side of the brick building between you know, like thirty third and twentieth Street, these big old like kind of textile ads and stuff, and you can see still see them, and they're very faded and beautiful. Um, and one thing I do like—I I never talk about what I like about the episode, but one thing I like about this episode is that you talked about spirituality and mysticism, and Michael Imperioli did. Yeah, we talked about gentrification and the beauty of New York and so did Michael. So there was a real kind of not
1: planned through line. See, can I say one thing? Say ten things. Say whatever you want. You know, so this water tower is right off of Columbus Circle, right next to Time Warner. And I walk by it a lot because I'm a big um, I'm a big performing arts fan, a big opera fan. So I'm always going to the Metropolitan Opera. So I get off at Time Warner Center and I walk, you know, towards Lincoln Center. So there's the water tower, and I look up at that water tower every single time I pass. And you know, I I can't believe that I was at the top of that thing. Right. If you could see how high this thing was, dangerous. And I just sort of can't even relate to who that guy used to be. But it I it I get. I don't get chills, but I feel it in my i feel it in my chest. I know what you mean. It, the most amazing thing is how
0: you could have been this fucked up, crazy person, right? And the city is the same as it was then, yeah. and you're different. I mean, the city's changed all over the place, yeah. too. But you're
1: different, and this tower is still there, the same exact thing as it was. I want to get a really good photograph. I've always had, wanted to get a really good photograph of this tower. Right. And then frame it, like beautifully frame it and hang it up in my apartment so that... You know, it's a it's a great great story, right? But it's also a real reminder, and it doesn't. no one else needs to know what that water tower represents. You'll
0: tell everybody the story. You will. Know, you, of know. course you will. I don't know.
1: They'll be, be like, oh,
0: that's a really handsome picture of a water tower. And but it's go- a
1: landmark of my addiction and, you know, wh- where my addiction took me.
0: It totally is. It totally is. It's a I, real
1: New York landmark.
0: I love that. And, um, Bill, thank you again, and I can't wait to have you on again. And... Uh, you guys follow us on Reddit The Reddit The Reddit Dopey Nation War We have a war between the Reddit group And the Dopey Nation group is, uh, I think it's dying down I think. But the thing about the Reddit people Is they're unpredictable and you never know When they're going to strike So I think the Dopey Nation people need to be cautious But follow us on Reddit Follow us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter um, I don't know, I think that's it Yeah that's great, I can't wait to be back Dave Thank you Stay strong Dopey Nation And fucking Toodles for Chris
3: I wanna take a walk Around the world I wonder Would it do me Any good Until I get Some money In my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to Walk around My neighborhood But I wanna be Good So bad Wanna be so good So bad So bad I wanna be Good, so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watches airplanes just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good, so bad. I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time. city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find, and I want to be good, so bad. Want to be good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good, so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. Damn it! All these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever. had.